In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God. Glory to thee, Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O treasure of every good and bestower of life. Come and dwell in us, and cleanse us of every stain, and save our souls, our good one. We have come to the third talk now about Elder Porfirios of Greece, who we said uh, died in 1991. So he's a saint that lived basically in our times, and there are obviously many people still alive who had dealings with him, were helped by him, had miracles performed by him. Sometimes when we read the ancient saints, because they lived, some, some of them lived many centuries ago, we tend not to, sometimes not relate to them as much, but the more recent saints are more accessible in that they dealt with problems that all of us are dealing with today. Because as I've said before, in the time of St. George or St. Demetrius, there was no television, there was no you know, contraception as we know it now. There was no... A lot of the things that we're dealing with now with children, that those things weren't really a problem in those days. And therefore, we read the saint and we, re we receive a lot of help from reading those, those saints as well. But some people want more and they want to know about their problems. Now, remember what I said to you, that when the previous patriarch died in Russia a few months ago, and there was, they were having an interview on some Russian program in English, and they were asking the priest, who was a representative of the church there, why, out of all the countries in the world, is Russia, a lot of people are coming to the church, young people, married people, but in, the, in America, Australia, etc., not many people are going to church. The West has a problem. But in Russia, they're all running back to the church. Now that communism has fallen, back in 1991 or around there. And the answer that he, that he said was very interesting. He said that because we deal with the people's problems, we relate to the problems. And that, before I heard it, was what I also believe that. And that's why a lot of time, that's why I do these type of talks and try to pick out sections that are going to help people who are living in this difficult time and to understand orthodoxy. Because a lot of people read these older books, read Holy Fathers, but because they are not brought up with an orthodox spirit, they become confused and interpret it in their own way. And because of their own, this wrong interpretation that they do, they cause trouble to themselves, to their family, and to society, to the church, etc. But the holy, the modern holy fathers, like Elder Paisius, which we did last year, Elder Porfirios this year, Eustin Popovich, Serbian saint, some Russians, Elder John from Russia, etc. All these saints that lived in our times gave us explanations for how we are to understand all the older saints. I believe that we really live in a time, because people's minds are not very well, that understanding orthodoxy 
has become an exception. Not many people really understand orthodoxy. And we have those who read the old fathers, the, 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 the ancient fathers, and as I said, because their minds are not able to comprehend, they give a whole wrong explanation. Or both strict or not strict, it depends on how their minds work. And then we have people who don't read any fathers at all. And then they have uh, their own enlightenment, as they believe, and they philosophise about religion, of how they think religion should be, of how they think the church should be. So there is an urgent need, and that's why I, per I, I actually went to the trouble of purchasing a lot of those books at the back from overseas for you people to read especially the modern-day fathers who help us understand the church's teaching. And you will see as we go on, as we today as we um, proceed with this talk, you'll see how much benefit you will receive, and I'll receive as well, because a lot of times I learn as I'm, as I'm doing this. Actually, I've learned quite a lot by, doing, by preparing these talks. I said this last time. It's very important, and you will see, so why waste time? Let's, let's go on. We already said that Elder Porfirios was given by God a gift. And this gift that he received, he received because he had two things, or three things. One, he was orthodox. Two, he was humble. And three, he had love. When we say that we are orthodox, it's not enough to say that we're orthodox because we do our cross with three fingers. It's not enough to say that we're orthodox because we're baptised. And it's not enough to say that we're orthodox because we go to church. And it's not enough to say that we're orthodox because we confess or commune or partake in other parts of it. That's not enough to say that one is orthodox. Orthodoxy is not external. Orthodoxy comes from within. And orthodoxy comes from being part of the church and being humble so that God can give the grace so that we can therefore become true children of the church. The prouder that we are, the more we cut off from God. The prouder we are, the more we don't receive this enlightenment that God gives to his children who are humble. Now, the word humility has basically been wiped off from the English language because not many people know. Today we hear you have to have self-esteem, you have to have pride, you have to have... And this is taught in schools, these are taught by doctors, psychiatrists, when people come to them for help, they say, oh, you've got to boost, you've got to have more self-esteem and be proud and not to put yourself down. You know, there are people, of course, who are sick and, as Elder Bovidio says, they put themselves down to a point where it's, where it's ridiculous. But their spirit is completely opposite to the Orthodox Church. One of the characteristics of this gift that Elder Porfirios has was that he had clairvoyance. Now, I've mentioned a couple of talks behind that, uh, beginning of the year, I think it was, that the word clairvoyance has also been misunderstood now because people have lost their roots in orthodoxy and therefore most people think that, all, that clairvoyance means some woman who reads coffee cups, some man who reads cards or does special communication with the dead and all those stuff. That's what they believe is clever. Or they can get your watch and hold it and rub it and then they will know from your watch. 
And we see all those shows now, like Psychic Detectives and all these shows, where even the police, FBI and all different types of police, actually use these people because they're so desperate, they've got no, they've got no leads to help them find a lost child or someone's been kidnapped or someone's been murdered. They want to find the body, they want to find the person who murdered them, etc. So they sometimes um, go to the, and ask these psychic people to help them. So that's what people really understand that clairvoyance means. Some people even, uh, you see them in the newspapers, in magazines, you know, some woman who says that she can tell you all your pro help you with all your problems, and they pick the key points. Mar marital problems, relationship problems, financial problems, especially in this time that people are pretty much broken, losing their job, and they're really desperate, apart that they buy lottery tickets a lot of times, lottos and things like that, thinking they're going to win to get out of their financial mess, they also run to these psychics who are going to tell them how to get out of their crisis. So people are quite desperate. And once I said, well, we can't really put them down completely because some of them have no idea of the teaching of the church regarding these things. And then someone said, oh, you're, you're, you're supporting the uh, magicians and psychics and things like that. I'm not supporting them. I'm trying to say that the ones who will be condemned for seeking these people are orthodox Christians who know that it's wrong. Those who don't know it's wrong will be judged less. But those who know that it's wrong will be condemned severely because they knew and they went to these people. And in the ancient church, and still exist the canons, the rules of the church say that anyone who goes to those people, it's equivalent to denying Christ. It's like you have denied Christ, and as we know, those who denied Christ were cut off from the church. So that's how serious it is. Even reading star signs, even as a, out of curiosity, oh, I wonder what my star sign, what my, whatever they think, call them, I don't know, stars say now. Today I'm going to meet someone. Well, unless you're a hermit, obviously you're going to meet someone. So there's, uh, there's, uh, that is also wrong. So now let's see what the true gift of clairvoyance is. Because these people, some of them have no power and they make it up because they're con artists. And some of them do have powers where they can tell you some things, like maybe they can tell you a couple of little secrets or something like that. But does that mean that what they're telling us is from God? Remember that there are possessed people, that we've said this before, that during the time in church that, that the priest is doing the exorcisms, that they actually shout out and begin to reveal the sins of those that are present. And people run out of the church shocked because only they themselves know what they've done, and they run. And if the priest also has done sins which he hasn't confessed, then he'll reveal that as well. And the thing that, and what the church teaches about that is that the demons know the sins that we've done if they haven't been confessed. If they've been confessed, he can't say it. So if a woman's, say, has, has had an abortion and she's repented and she's confessed, and she's truly sorry, and she has shown fruits of repentance, 
maybe by giving out some leaflets on abortion. Or, and there's, there's ways that, you know, there's ways that um, people can show fruits of repentance. Then the demons will not be able to reveal that. But the people who have had, who have, have not confessed or not repented properly, they will be revealed. Even if they've said it to the priest, if they haven't really got repentance, then there's a problem there. But of course, then the demons, because they're tricky, and this is where we need discernment, is they also say sins that the person didn't even do so that it can make people confused, and especially against the priest. So, for example, he might reveal something about the priest and then the people listen to that and say, well, if the, if he got, if the possessed person, which is really the demon, got it right about me, meaning the person, then what he said about the priest must be true, and that makes the people to become suspicious about the priest. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. And that's why, for me, I don't go to those places because they also, not only do they actually say your real sins, not only do they say sins that you didn't even do, but they also praise to make you fall into pride. Oh, you know, your, I think I've said this before, your prayers burn me, your prayers are so holy, um, your prayers are so effective, etc., to make the person fall into pride. Let's now see an example of a holy saint who truly had the gift of clairvoyance. I'm going to start off like I did with Elder Paisos. I started off with clairvoyance. Why do I start off with clairvoyance? Because most people are intrigued by that. Most people, even when they run to find elders, when they run to Manathos or go to Greece, go to Russia, wherever they're going to go to find elders, it's always, most of the time, they are very interested in the, the, the elder or the elders saying something about them their name or something like that. People are intrigued by that. Very curious. Why are people curious about that? Because God has created us spiritual. And therefore we are interested in dreams, in visions, in miracles, in, in, the, in the supernatural. There's only a very small percentage of people in the world that aren't interested. And those are the people like atheists and things like that who aren't interested even a lot of them convert later on too when things happen in their life. But let's just say in general, all of us are interested in the spiritual. We're also interested in, um, like when some parents say to me, oh, my daughter, for example, she reads magazines all the time about the life of pop stars, say. She reads about their sex lives and their drug use and this and that and that and that. And I say to the parent, that's normal. And the parent gets upset and thinks that they go, oh, you know, he must be a modernist. He must be a, uh, a modern priest that believes it's okay. Because a lot of priests say, oh, that's okay. But what did I mean by it's normal? What, did, what I mean by that it's normal is that it's normal for a human being to be interested in the life of people. And that's what the TV, the TV uses that and has all those shows, those series, Home and Away, or what's the other one called? whatever, neighbours, and people watch that for years and watch the life of the person. The parents go, but why? I said, because you didn't give the child the, to, 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 to um, satisfy that curiosity, you give them the life of saints. 
That's why I said it's normal. It's normal to want it, but it's not useful for them to be interested in those pop stars in their sex lives and their drug habits and their rehabs and things like that. It's, that's not beneficial for your son or for your daughter, etc. Nor is it beneficial for them to watch on TV everyone who's having an abortion, who's not, who's fornicating, who's committing adultery, who's doing this, who's that. Then that's not beneficial. And that's why if we read the lives of saints, our soul, which thirsts for the spiritual, which thirsts to know about wonders, which thirsts to know about miracles, which thirsts to know about the supernatural, will be satisfied in the correct way, but also it will be satisfied by reading about the lives of something which is useful instead of reading rubbish, which does not give us, but only gives ideas to people. And here we have today the saint, and hasn't been canonised, that's why we did the memorial prayer, and the elder Porfirios is a living saint. And I have read that they say that, for example, Greece does not produce someone like Elder Porfirios. They only produce someone as great as him maybe every hundred years. That's how great he is. So we can, as I said, we can give our soul today the food that it wants because the soul wants food. Just like the body wants food, the soul wants food. The soul wants food, and what's the food that the soul wants? It wants spirit. It wants grace. It wants God. It wants the Holy Spirit, and he can, the soul can receive that through the church, through reading the life of elders, through reading the lives of saints, by coming today to, the, to a talk, by partaking of communion. And what is Depression. And what is all these problems that exist, a lot of them, apart from there are exceptions? In general, depression is a soul which is starving. Now, we know there's exceptions of people that have been abused. I'm saying now in general. In general, it's a soul which is starving for God, even if the person doesn't know. And that's why we see people that were depressed, chronically depressed, come to the church and they're no longer depressed. Now, I don't mean when they're depressed for certain things or they're tired or some problems in their life, etc. But I'm talking about chronic, deep depression when the person has no want to live, has no desire for anything. Nothing makes the person happy. They can have a good job. They can have a family. They can have beautiful children. They can be financially well off. But they say, I'm not happy. And you hear them, I'm not happy. Because they've got no God. Oh, and one other thing I've got here that um, God gives his gift to those who are humble, as we said before. But he doesn't give it to the unworthy. Why? Because that gift will become like a murder weapon. We said this before. You, a, a knife is useful to, to cut the meat, cut the bread, cut the vegetables. The knife is useful. But not to a young child because the, not, the knife is useful for, that, for those who know how to use the knife. But to a child, it doesn't know what the knife is and it's going to get it. It's going to cut themselves. That's the same as with us. 
that God wants to give us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God wants to give us the gifts just like he gave it to Elder Porfirios, but he doesn't give it to us because we will destroy ourselves. We would not know how to handle it. We would become proud, demonic, and go to hell. And therefore, God does not give those gifts so easily. We have in the church even some holy people with love, with humility, but they don't have the gift of discernment to know what's going on in the per person, to know the past of the person, the present of the person, the future of the person, whether the feelings that the person's having is from the, from the demons, whether they're natural, whether they're um, from God. That's what's called the, gifts, the gift of discernment because the, some people think the greatest gift is love. But no, the greatest gift is discernment. And only few have that, that gift. And the Elder Paris is one of them. And that's why those who, who believe in this ecumenical movement, and they say, in the name of love, we shall join with the other churches. Of course, what a great thing to join. Uh, however, above love is discernment. And discernment is to know what is the truth and what is not the truth. Now, some of you might say, does it really matter? Wouldn't it be a fantastic thing for everyone to be, let's say Christians. Let's just say that, every, that we can say, oh, what a fantastic thing it would be to join and all the Christians to be one. Yes, it would be fantastic. And, uh, but as our Holy Fathers say, only when it is in truth. But what's the difference? Why does it matter? Love is the most important thing. If everyone wants to join because we have love for each other, that's the most important thing. Why is it important, the dogmas? Why is it important what the church teaches? And a lot of people actually, you see them there in debates, they say the church is the cause of all the troubles in the, in the world because of its wanting to keep the dogmas and cutting off people and things like that. What's the, what's the result of that? I'll tell you. When we don't care about the dogmas, when we don't care about the traditions of the church, when we don't care about the way that the apostles have handed down the, the, our, our faith to us, then we get to the stage where, as many churches have, that homosexuality, for example, that there's nothing wrong with it because it's love. There's nothing wrong with having women... Pastors, as they call them. There's nothing wrong with having practicing people who are practicing in whether fornication, whether lesbians, whether homosexual, whether heterosexual, doesn't matter, practicing that type of lifestyle and to be a bishop, to be a priest, or to be a priestess, whatever they call them. So when we don't care about the faith and what is the truth, then all these things creep in. And that's why the church has, is strict, because if we didn't keep the truth, then we would be a mess. And people would be confused. Now, let's see what our first um, person says here. One, this is, I'm going to give you accounts of people who met the elder. Once when I was unwell, I went to visit him 
and to receive his blessing. He told me exactly what I was suffering from, even though the doctors for many years had great difficulty in making a definite diagnosis. So this person went to him. He had been to doctors for years. Doctors didn't know. We know that. I've been going to doctors for years. And a lot of times, they, you know, you say, but I've got this problem, that problem, and they don't know. They're limited. And God does that on purpose to teach them humility because sometimes from their intelligence and from their research, they become so elated that they believe that they're above everything. And that's why God allows, always allows, there always will be sicknesses which will be incurable. And if he does allow that sickness to be cured, he'll bring other sicknesses which can't be cured because the medical profession needs some humility and that's how they get it. When you go there and they don't know. Why do I have that? I don't know. When having returned from the doctors, I visited Elder Porphyrius again and he said to me about himself, the gift, my child, is not my own. It's God's. I say that which God says to me and not what my mind, what my imagination, what my opinion or my capabilities say. This is the, the basis of the gift of discernment these gifted saints, they didn't express their opinion. They did not express what came in their minds. And they did not have trust in their capabilities, in that they believe that they're smart and they can work problems out, etc. They didn't have any of that. What they did is that they said what God enlightened them to say. But how do we know that God is enlightening them? How do we know that maybe the demons are not talking to them? And this is where they show, it's not enough for a person to show some gifts that they know your name and things like that, but what's important is that they have other characteristics which we'll see as time goes on. Love, humility, respect for the freedom of the person. The saints don't force people. I do at times. Sometimes I become forced to go, no, you must do it like that. And I can become angry. What does that mean? It means I'm not a saint. Because the, the, the saints respect the person's freedom entirely, just like God does. Afterwards, he told me about the following incident. Many days ago, a university professor visited me and complained about some problem that he had, and I said to him, Professor, those problems that you're having come from your mother's womb. And the professor started to cry. And the elder said to him, you're a university professor and you're crying. And then, the elder, and then he said, you're right, elder. He re but those words of yours have a deep meaning for me. My mother told me that when I was in her womb, my father kicked her that, so, so that she wouldn't, so she would, so she would miscarry. So, in other words, because he didn't want the child. Then Elder Porphyrius added, "Was I my child in the womb of his mother, of the professor? How did I know? God enlightened me to say that which I say. You don't learn to be clairvoyant. You don't go and do some courses like people do, or buy a book. You know, some books." Um, they're, they're everywhere, learning to do magic, learning to be a guru, learning to be 
clairvoyant, and all these books that are around to learn. Like Harry Potter, how he went to um, his um, special school, even though it's a myth. But let's just even take it, and because there are schools that actually do that. Oh, they actually offer it in university now. And people are learning to get in touch with themselves and to tap into the power that they've got in their mind. But that's not how orthodoxy is. If they want to do that, they can do it. They're free. We have to respect their freedom. But it's not orthodox. Gifts from God are not learnt. So I love that, actually. It's not my opinion. It's not from my imagination. God enlightened me. This is another good example. Two hunters met the elder in the forest and accused monks of not doing anything for others, which is an accusation given. Monks only take care of themselves. Nuns only take care of themselves. They don't care about anyone. The elder answered that they pray and God helps them know themselves and others in order to help with their problems. So when a, when a person becomes a monk or a nun, they learn about themselves because of the spiritual life that they lead. And by knowing about themselves, they begin to understand others. Then the elder called one of them by his name. So the elder, who didn't know them and they didn't know him, said to one of the um, hunters his name and revealed that he had just returned from America where he had undergone a serious operation and the elder mentioned details about the surgery. The man who received this revelation was, a, was obliged to tell his amazed friend that it was the truth because even his friend didn't know. The hunters became friends of the elder from that moment. We're going to notice that the, that the elder used this gift on purpose. And I'll let, I'll let him explain it himself, why he does that. Uh, this is another nice one. He, once, he told me once, so this person's writing, let us love with the love of Christ and not with the love of humans. Remember what I said once before, there's human love and there's love according to the way God wants us to love. Parents love their children, but the majority of them don't love them properly. And because of that, they cause catastrophes. Two years ago, a mother came here to tell me about her four children. She told me their names and I told her, be careful about Haralambos because you will be beaten by him. He was then only 12 years old. She became enraged. What are you saying, Father? Haralambos is my best child. I pay attention to him and I love him more than all because he's my youngest. That's another problem that people spoil their youngest child. I then responded, the elder said, you don't love him with the love of Christ and you are therefore doing him harm. She did not believe me. She left angry, saying harsh things about me. I prayed and left her in God's hands. So she didn't like what he said. She goes for advice to him, but when the advice doesn't suit her, she becomes enraged and goes away and starts putting him down and saying to people, he's deceived, he's this, he's that. They even used to call him magician, sorcerer. Guru, you know, don't think that, they, that that's like a Catholic type of um, uh, saint where they stand there and light emanates, come inside, and, they, and, and light emanates from them and they have this 
beautiful, serene life, this elder actually suffered, which you'll see later on, at the hands of a lot of people who misunderstood him. So she was one of them. I prayed and left her in God's hands. He didn't chase the woman and say to her, this is the way it is, you must do it like this, like we do a lot of us, including myself, force people, don't respect the freedom, parents forcing their children. But he left the woman free. He allowed her to be free. That's what she believes, that's it. And he prayed, very important. She came to me the day before yesterday, having repented. Forgive me, Father, we didn't understand you then. We said you are deceiving the people. But now I believe that God enlightens you. Haralambus left me. He's become like a wild animal. He beat me up. What can I do now? Truly, I did not love him with the love of Christ. I did harm, she cried. So this is a very important theme which we're going to carry right through, the way we love others. We have to love others in the way that God commands and not in an emotional, fleshly, demonic at times way which, has, which, has which can be destructive for the person, for ourselves and the other person who we supposedly love. As I've said to you before, I think it's St. Maximus the Confessor in his writings, he says that the true love, the, the, the true love that you have for a person is when you love their soul, when you are seeking everything for their salvation. Parents today do not seek the salvation, in general, of their children. Just that says that they are not loving their children in a godly way. But I want my children to do well at school. I want my children to grow up and get married. Okay, that's, that's all right. I want my children to uh, uh, study well. I want my, whatever, all those things that parents have. It's okay, but if the basis for your desire isn't their salvation, then the love that you have for them is demonic harsh that it might be. And that's why we see the catastrophes of today. One day, a spiritual child of Elder Porfirios phoned him from South Africa. Remember that the elder had spiritual children or people that wanted to have his help from all over the world, Australia, America, England, Europe, everywhere. Here is a person from South Africa. And he rang up the elder because he wanted some advice about a problem that he had. As they were speaking on the phone, Elder Porfirio said to him, what's happening there? Is it still raining or has it stopped? Can you imagine it? The elder in Greece knew that it was raining in South Africa that day. But of course, that is a special thing. But the demons also know that it could be raining in South Africa. Remember what the elders say, St. John of the Ladder, who we celebrated last week, Sunday, in his book, the, the Ladder of Divine Ascent, he says, the demons who know that someone's dying far away, or has died, comes to another person, in, in, either in their dream somehow, and says to them, your mother, your relative has died, such that the person will then pay attention to their dreams and believe that what they dream is true because it, came, because it, came, because it was true, the person did die. 
at the exact moment. Demons aren't limited by space. They're spirits. Like angels. Well, they are angels, but fallen angels. They can be in one country and within a fraction of a second, if you can say that, they're here. Therefore, they're not limited. So it's not enough just to know that it's stopped raining or still raining or whatever in Africa. But why this saint is amazing is when we take all of his life. Because as I've said to you, you can ring up someone in another country, some guru or some demonic person or someone who contacts with spirits, and they can tell you some things there. But those people lack humility those people lack love, or they don't have it. And they're not interested in the salvation of your soul. The, the caller knew about Elder Perfidus' gifts of discernment and foresight. When he finished his own conversation, he said, Elder, I also have a friend here, and he would like to speak to you to get your blessing. Now, I have to stop here and make a little bit of a... Um, What's the word in English? Uh, instruction. I won't say reprimand, instruction. Some of you don't know how to greet clergy. When you meet, when you ring a priest or a bishop, you must ask for the person's blessing. You don't say, how are you? How's it going? Good morning and good afternoon. And good night. That's not the way that you, if you want to be orthodox, that's not the way you speak to a priest. When you come to a priest, oh, sorry, and when you finish the conversation, again you say, your blessing, father, vladika, despota, or whatever background you've got. Then, when you meet a priest in, in person, the first thing you do is you receive the blessing because you are meeting the person. Then you might, then if it's, that's all you're having, and then you're going away. That's okay. Just one blessing, and you move away. If, however, you're meeting the priest to, to talk to him about something, whatever, and you do all that, when you're finished, you receive the, the blessing again because you're now departing. Because a lot of people, when they, um, they don't know, and, and, and why I'm telling you this is because you miss out on the benefit. Remember what St. Cosmas says. When you see an angel on one side of the road and a priest on the other side of the road, where do you go first to kiss the hand? Do you kiss the hand of the angel or the priest? Well, one would think the angel because the angel's pure. But the priest has got sins. But the truth of the matter is you receive the blessing of the priest. Angels can't perform liturgy. Priest can. Angels can't forgive sins. The priest can. Why? Because that's the way God ordained it. God gave that to the priests. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain they are retained. And also, if you read the Holy Fathers, and especially Elder Provisors as well, they speak about what power is the blessing of a priest. Just to receive a blessing of the priest can protect you, can give you so much help. When you go up and the priest blesses, that is... God, it's like you're receiving heaven on you, depending on your faith. 
He's, uh, he's he said it without. Now, if you have a spirit, if you have a spirit that are pre uh, that the priests want us to kiss their hands because they're proud and this and that. Well, you know, you can have that, uh, but you're not orthodox. So it depends on whether you are a true child of the church or you're not. If you're a child of the church, you follow the rules. Some of you go to gyms, and they've got certain rules. You don't demand your way. It's the club. It's the way it is. The church is above all that. And the church also has rules. And, and we have to listen to the church. He said it without uh, mentioning his friend's name. Yes, yeah, so when the, when the person was on the phone said to the elder, I've got a friend here who wants to get your blessing. The friend picked up the receiver and heard the, uh, the elder say, Good evening, X, my child. So he said his name. The person was taken aback and immediately afterwards he heard the elder ask him, how are your four girls? And then he said, pay attention to your oldest daughter. She has a problem and could be making a big mistake. I must make it clear at this point that the elder didn't, didn't know this man, had never met him. When he heard that uh, what Elder Bavria said to him, he became soaked in the sweat from the shock. He had realised that he had spoken to a true saint. The incident shows that the, that the elder didn't only care about his spiritual children, but about every human soul. While the clairvoyants and the mediums, they care about your credit card. They care about the moolah that you're going to give them, the money. And you know what? People give a lot of money. A lot of money. Oh, everything's going wrong in my life. So they say, oh, did you hear about the person down there that she can help you? So they, people run there. And the person says, okay, $1,000, I can do help you in this and that. They give the 1000 Then later on, the person gets a bit better, obviously, because the demons back off. And then later on, they might get a bit sick again or some problems happen again. And then comes the big guns. I can give you a special protective thing for $10,000. And people pay it. But when they come to the church, it's very hard for them to even give 10 cents. Um, that was the greatest of Elder Porfirius's love. Uh, it truly overwhelmed you from the first moment you saw him and spoke on the telephone. Without, I'm not speaking um, in a proud way, but I have met in my life holy people. I've also met Elder Profilius, just got a blessing because he was sick a couple of years before he died. And it's true. When you approach these people, there's a grace which comes off them, which gives you peace and it gives you faith in God. And also gives you, which is a sign of the Holy Spirit, humility. When you walk up to these people, the same thing happens with miraculous icons or the relics of saints, that you um, feel the grace which gives humility. You feel humble. And that feeling of humility that one experiences is a sign that what they are 
experiencing is from God. Of course, if the person is a confused person with emotional problems and mental, some mental problems and things like that, or is under the influence of demons or living a sinful life, then the demons can mimic, can pretend, can make out that you're feeling peace. Have you seen those people that they feel really peace? Even drug addicts feel peace. And they're, and they're there and they feel really peaceful and they believe that the peace that they're feeling is from God or whatever they believe. But that's not a true spirit of humility. Of course, when you lead a life in the church, you begin to experience, you know, it's hard, but you try to work it out, but always be very careful because the demons use our weaknesses, the demons use our pride, and try to make out that our feelings are from God when they're not, they actually could be emotional or from himself, demonic, trying to imitate the grace of God. But I, I believe that the more we lead a church life, the more we confess in our sins, the more we pray, the more we trust in God to help us, the more we do experience these things. And that's why a lot of you have said to me, when I venerated the curse-screwed icon, that Russian icon that came from America, that it was just so graceful. Or when you venerate the relic of a saint, and you also experience it when you meet holy people, holy abbesses, holy monks, holy nuns, holy priests, etc. These people, they just give off that grace. That was Elder Producer's love. It truly overwhelmed you from the first moment you saw him, spoke with him on the telephone, that, that feeling that you get. Elder Perfidius's great and fundamental, fundamental ascetic effort, apart from his humility, that was one of his virtues, vigil, that he would pray for long periods of time, fasting, was prayer. Sorry, Through his prayer, he could see events in the past, in the present, and in the future. When a professor from the, uh, from the university was going to attend some conference in Europe, I think it was on to do with astronomy or something, he went to get the elder's blessing. There they spoke about astronomy. As the professor himself told us, Elder Pufferus told him what he would encounter at the conference and what he should do. The elder told him exactly what was going to happen at the conference. During the conference, the professor saw that everything the elder said came true. He was so moved that not only did he become a most humbled spiritual child of Elder Porfirios, but he visited the elders' convent at Milesi regularly and humbled himself by doing even work there for the monastery. The truth of the matter is that some people, that's enough. Something like that, an initial experience of the holiness of someone, the love that someone has, and the fact that the person can tell you some secret or something like that, past, future, whatever. For some people, that's enough, and people can convert and become strong in their orthodox faith. And that's why he did it. Others, uh, they don't get moved. So don't think that everyone that went to him was enlightened and became faithful children of the church and devoted to him. Once he telephoned Brussels. He had a spiritual child there who was serving in the Navy on a NATO submarine. He told him that there was a shoal reef there where the submarine was um, circulating under the sea, and they ought to be careful. The officer checked the spot that the elder had pointed out, located the reef, and gave orders for the, for the submarine to avoid that spot. So even though the elder was in Greece, 
he knew where this place, where, that there was there um, a reef which could have destroyed the vessel. Now, if this person was already a spiritual child of the elder, why then did he use his gift to try and make him become more faithful when he already was faithful? And the answer is that uh, the elder also, out of love, would want to warn people and help them. It wasn't just to surprise them, to bring them closer to the church, but also out of his love to warn them. A gentleman once visited us who had come from a village in Corinth. He had a large property and was in a dilemma as to whether to plant. People might think it's trivial, but I'll explain it that in a minute. This farmer didn't know whether to plant olive trees or lemon trees. So he decided to go and ask the elder for his opinion. This was in the 1970s. The elder told him the needs the countries of the EEC would have. They weren't, that wasn't, the EEC didn't exist. But he, but he foresaw that what was going to happen was that they're going to develop a method that could harvest olives quick and produce a lot of oil. And he said to him, don't plant olive trees, because, you know, they take a long time to grow. He said, plant lemon trees. And he advised him to plant lemon trees. Lemons would always be in demand in those countries and in the countries of the north. That, as events proved, was actually, is what actually happened. Now, I put that in on purpose. Why do you think I put that in? Does anyone know why I put that in? Why did I put that in about the lemon and olive trees? There's other miracles that are so spectacular. But why? Practical. Because I want to show that God does take notice of our prayers for our everyday things. It's not just as people think that God deals only with spiritual things. But God deals, can help us with everything, especially when we are leading spiritual lives, not people who aren't leading spiritual lives and then run just when they need something, financial problems, job, education or whatever, family problems. But God especially listens to our prayers and helps us because this person obviously was... Um, well, I don't know. We might say this person could have already been a believer and then he went and asked for God's help. But also, sometimes, I'll take that back, sometimes people who aren't leading spiritual lives can come to the church for something. They want some favour from God. And God can give them that. Again, it's just like the elder. See, when people came to the elder, he would sometimes do a miracle to show them how good God is and to convert the person to start leading a spiritual life. That's what God does. A lot of times, people who never even come to church, people who have never confessed, all of a sudden they come to the church because they've got some need. And then they get what they want at times. That, that, that does happen, that they get what they want, if it's for their benefit. And then they begin to see how good, some of them, see how good God is and how much he, he helps for everyday things, and that can also help the person to become more faithful and start to lead a spiritual life. How many parents have I seen? For example, I've met parents who had children, one child or something that was possessed or had demonic problems, and um, those people weren't leading spiritual lives. They went to the church, 
and would pray and ask priests to do prayers for them. And, and they, they went everywhere to monasteries and asked other prayers of people. And a lot of times the children got better. Sometimes they might got a little bit better. Sometimes they didn't get better. However, through that asking, they began to become more faithful and became Orthodox Christians. Actually, a lady rang me up the other day. I won't say where because I don't like people. We'll just say somewhere. And she actually had a daughter who had, a, who had that problem. And she said that, you know, we're suffering a lot because my daughter's got that demonic problem. And she goes, I have to admit, if it wasn't for her problem, we wouldn't be in the church today. It was through the girl's problem that this family turned to the church. So God works in mysterious ways. We shouldn't look at things as being disastrous. Sometimes he doesn't give us what we want because it might not be for our good. It, he knows. And the saints know a lot of times too what's right, because what, they've got the gift of discernment. I wouldn't know. I, wouldn't, I would not know what's the best a lot of times for, 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 for people. A cancer patient who was at the final stages of his sickness through a friend asked the elder to tell him whether he would live or not. The elder did not reply to the question. So someone's in hospital, they, they, were, they had cancer and they were dying. Well, uh, that, that, that's what it appeared. But the, sometimes when patients are dying, they are in denial and they don't believe they're going to die. Uh, they go through uh, different stages. But anyway, this person obviously thought that maybe that he would get better. So he, he told a friend of his, go to the elder and ask him, am I going to die, am I going to live, what's going to happen? The elder didn't say anything. He just gave, he, he, he simply said that he, that he prayed to God for the person and he gave this person a prayer rope, you know, prayer ropes, and said to him, um, a prayer rope, like a little prayer rope, and said, give it to your friend. That's all he said. Didn't, didn't answer. A few days later, the patient, the patient left for heaven while praying, holding the prayer rope in his hand. Now, what's the significance of that? At times, people would get better through the elders' prayers, and at times, they didn't get better. Why? Because it's up to God whether we get better and whether we don't get better. It might be better for us to go at that time, and if the person lives, then that person can fall away and become worse. So it's God who knows what's the best for us, and through his saints are revealed what is, what is in God's mind. And the elder knew that he was going. Once, while riding a large motorbike, my relative had an accident. He hit something and was flung several metres away from his bike. However, as if by miracle, he survived without getting hurt. When he returned home after the accident late that night, he had just put his foot in the door when the phone rang. He answered it and, and he heard Elder Porphyrius was speaking to him at the other end of the line. And the elder said, You escaped, you escaped, thanks God. My, relatives, my relative remained speechless. So the elder knew that the person had an accident. Most probably he was praying at that time and it was through the prayers. That's how important it is for us to always ask prayers from those who are priests, monks, nuns especially, and lay people who are pious, but 
in general, in general, especially the priest. Because remember when the, when the ten lepers, one of them, when they got better and then he said, go to the priest as Moses commanded. Well, why should they go to the priest? They had God in front of them. Because God wants us to go to the priests. That's why he gave us the priests. And I'm not going to hide the fact that there are priests who are dead. I'm not going to hide the fact that there are priests who, when you ask them to pray for you... Uh, I remember once years ago I went to a priest. My father just passed away and I said, oh, my father passed away. Can you please commemorate? And he got all excited. I go, what is he excited for? And then he said, I can do, I can have a special memorial prayer done up with weed and this and that. It cost $100 and, and, and I was just a bit shocked with that. And I realised that some priests, and when you say to someone else, they go, who? What's his name? Yes, we'll, we'll put his name into the service, etc. Try to stay close to a monastery, maybe not physically, even through communication, through visiting if you can visit them. The Greeks have one, the Russians have one, Serbians have monasteries. Overseas, for example, uh, ringing, writing, whatever you can do, you should do to ask for the prayers of them. Because it's very, very powerful. By the way, some of you might say, okay, the guy had an accident and he was a spiritual child or something of the older and he was saved. But I know people who don't even go to church or people who have nothing to do with God, maybe even unbelievers who also have had accidents and, the, and when the police come in the ambulance, go, oh, I should have, you should have died. Like that is where I'm amazed that you, are, that you are living or that you've got nothing wrong with you. And the truth of the matter is that a lot of us, we think that, that God only looks down and helps the orthodox, which is a bit which is wrong. God helps everyone. He especially listens to the Orthodox because they pray to him in the correct manner. They believe in him in the correct manner. But God also helps, and the Muslims, and the Jews, and the unbelievers, etc., etc. It's not a heresy for someone to say, oh, that's ecumenical, that's ecumenist, that's, that, that's really bad. God only helps the Orthodox. Remember when Christ came... When Christ started his ministry, when he was 30 years old, if you, if you read the Bible closely, you'll see that he especially condemned what in the Jews? He especially condemned the fact that they were, that they believed that they were elite and they, they, they had the truth, yes, but he condemned the fact that they believed that they were above everyone else and everyone else was trash to them. I have not seen such faith even in Israel. And he healed the, the Samaritan woman who was not even a prop, who wasn't even a Jew. And then he healed the pagan. And, he, and all these things he did on purpose as if to say to the Jews, you think you're fantastic and all that what you think. But God requires love as well. We can still be orthodox and still love others. It doesn't mean that we have to say... I'm going to love someone else and throw away my orthodoxy. So God helps. Yes, he does help. When I was in Serbia, staying in a monastery there for a number of months, and I noticed, as I've said before, I noticed these people coming with funny clothes, and I said uh, to the monks there, I was in Kosovo then, I said, who are those people coming 
And why aren't they doing their cross when they're walking in the church? And he goes, they're not orthodox, they're Muslims. I go, well, what are they doing here? They go, they're coming because their wives can't have children and they, they, they come to the orthodox. They don't go to their ones, they come to ours. And that's true of all countries where Muslims are. They, a lot of them come to our churches for favours from God, and God gives them favours. And, for example, there was a, if you, there's a book out at the back there called Elder Arsenios, the spiritual, the one who baptised Elder Paisios. Elder Arsenios of Cappadocia, if you read that life, you'll see in there that the Muslims would come to the elder for healing. They didn't go to their doctors. Sometimes there were no doctors in those villages. Greeks weren't allowed to be educated, so the Greeks actually had no medical help. And a lot of times the doctor was the priest. And the Greeks used to go to the priest for all types of sicknesses, and the um, Muslims would come too. And what would happen was, which I was quite surprised, is the elder would wear his the Petrahili, the, which I was surprised with, and um, he would actually read the gospel on top of the sick Muslim person, and they would uh, a lot of times get better. They were either possessed, some of them couldn't have children, some of them were had very serious diseases. So, yes, Muslims can do come to Orthodox churches for miracles, but Orthodox don't go to Muslim mosques for any favours. Uh, there are exceptions where maybe some convert, but in general, no, because they live in very fanatical areas that if they converted, they would be killed, their family would be killed, etc. So, you know, some, some, some in the past we've read in the life of our saints that some of them did convert and were chopped up into pieces, hanged or whatever happened to them there, but, you know, it's not for us, and God still gives them uh, his miracles, even though... They might not convert. That's up to him. Why? He knows. I don't know. Logically speaking, you would think, well, shouldn't he demand for them to repent and become orthodox and then give them the miracle? But that doesn't happen. He gives them, he helps them regardless of their faith. Here's another one, well, since we're on that topic. When Elder Porfirio saw a monk from Italy, a Roman Catholic monk, and Elder Porfirios began to describe this monk's monastery in Italy and their, and their way of life. They actually described in detail a lot of those things. He even described, oh, by the way, there's a bit of a difference with the elder and, with your, and some of these gurus or these magicians or whatever. When, the, when, the, when a magician says something or a sorcerer, whatever they call these gurus, they might, they might say a couple of things. They might say ten things. Out of the ten, a lot of times most of them are wrong. People are stupid and they actually just grab onto the one that's right. The elder doesn't make mistakes. So when he gives, when he's been enlightened by God, everything is correct. He even described a neighbouring convent of nuns. He saw all the monks and the nuns there and mentioned each one in specific details, that one's name is that, and she does that, and that, 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 all that. The monk was literally dumbfounded because it was the first time, and I believe it, in his life that he had met such a man. This monk had never met such a man. 
And that's correct. In Catholicism, they don't exist. Now, by saying that, does that mean I'm condemning Catholicism? I condemn the heresy, not the people. And the truth of the matter is that they, they do not possess one million percent elders or eldresses with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They don't possess it. They can have wise people. They can even have virtuous people to some extent. But people with the gifts of grace are only in the Orthodox Church. Now, you might say, oh, it's because you're Orthodox, you're saying that, doesn't bother me what you say. The point is, that is the truth. And he and he's one that said, he had never met anyone like that. If someone had told me about these things, that he had seen and he heard these things, I would never have believed. So if someone told this monk, oh, you know, there's a priest in Greece and he can tell you this, this guy would have said, I don't believe that. Remember that Catholicism is based on intellectual knowledge. That's why to become a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, you have to study for seven, eight years. To become a priest in the, in the Orthodox Church, you can be uh, with no education at all because the Orthodox look for virtue, looks for humility, looks for grace. You don't learn priesthood. Priesthood is a mystery which comes when the bishop ordains you. So their understanding of spiritual things is with their mind, especially the Jesuits. They, they really try to work everything out. But remember what we said, Elder Paisio said, you can't work out intellectually orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is not worked out. You can't calculate it. A lot of these people, they've studied engineering and, and maths and philosophy. I don't know what they've studied. I don't know what that's got to do with priesthood but anyway. A lot of them have studied all that. And they believe that they can calculate things in the spiritual life. The area of a circle is pi r squared. And the gifts of God come from, and they write out a whole list in an intellectual way as if they're writing an essay for a university. That's not orthodoxy. Unfortunately, that spirit has also entered into the, into the orthodox church, and it's up to you to differentiate between those who have orthodoxy via the spirit of God and those who have orthodoxy, in inverted commas, via the intellect. Elder Porfirios did not have it via the intellect. As this monk told us, when he asked Elder Porfirios, how was he able to see all these things, the elder said, God reveals, I love this part, God's grace reveals the mysteries to us orthodox. That's not putting them down. That's just a truth. We can still say that the orthodox church is the truth without ceasing to love all other people. Now, I've got a couple of notes here. Two things. The holy light in Jerusalem. Some of you don't know. There's videos on it. The holy light comes down on Easter Saturday into the tomb of Christ and is lit by the Greek Orthodox patriarch. Before he goes into the tomb, he searched for matches, lighters, and the tomb is also searched. And 
Outside, in their liturgical wear, is the Armenians and the Coptics. Even though we're not supposed to pray with them, but this is like an exception where that rule that came down in that place there due to all the different hands that have held that country, um, they are just there present. The tomb is a little like a little room, and there's two holes in the walls on each side. The Coptic goes on one side and the Armenian goes on the other side. Because the rule is they have to receive the light first, meaning after we've received it. So the Greek Orthodox patriarch goes in and he kneels down at the tomb of Christ. The door's closed. And suddenly, because there's holes are there and you can see that there's light in the actual tomb. Because some unbelievers or some people that I've, who are possessed with a demonic spirit in their brains would say, uh, somehow they've got the light in there. When God does a miracle, he makes sure that it's done in a way that it's foolproof. No one can dispute it. When the light comes down into the holy tomb, at the same time, outside where there's thousands of people and everyone's holding their 33 candles because they hold, they sell them there. They have 33 candles which are bounded together and all the wicks there. Now, you know, when, when, when those things go alight, they're very, that's a pretty dangerous. Even if I put my finger on one of those candles, it can burn. So at the time that the patriot's in there, simultaneously, all of a sudden, people start seeing lights flickering everywhere in the church. And even some people's candles light on their own. Meanwhile, the patriarch is given his um, light to the Armenians and the Coptics. Then the doors open and he comes out, receive you the light, they have to love at the force, as we say, and then the light, some people have already got it, and then, the, then people run and, and, and light their 33 candles, and then all of a sudden the church becomes more and more full. Now... I haven't been on that day. I have people people here that have been. You've been, Andrew? Yeah. And uh, who else has been? Anyone else been here to the Holy Light? Maybe one day. And But the, but there's videos of them and things like that. And um, the candles, when, when they're lit, the 33 candles, they put it on their face or on their beard. And uh, they don't get burnt. That's indisputable. No one can say that it's a trick or... You know, whatever, because you see it. And even women that um, I saw one, I saw on the video, a woman had a veil. Uh, I think she was a nun, and she had a veil, and she was putting it there, and she was smiling, and she was going like that. You can't do that. Even if you do it quickly, you'll have to go to the burns unit um, to um, maybe get some skin graft to re- redo your face. You will get burnt. Many centuries ago, uh, by the way, present are the Armenians, the Catholics, a lot of J- J- uh, people from the, the Jewish, the Jewish people, especially police, because the Jewish, because obviously, the tomb of Christ is in the jurisdiction of Israel, and therefore they have to be present to um, for crowd control. They're present as well, and usually the Roman Catholics. Because they 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 also have a part in that in that big church there because they all got little sections, but the Greeks own the actual tomb, 
And I don't think many of them come out for the occasion. But there's probably a lot of Catholics in the audience that have come in the congregation. Many centuries ago, the Armenians said, why should they always get it? Why should the Greeks always get it? We're going to get it. So they went early and they locked the big doors of the, of the sepulchre of the, of the Holy Resurrection Church there. They locked the Greeks out. And the proud, one, and the proud Armenians, see, they called Armenian Orthodox, uh, but they're still not Orthodox in the sense because they don't recognise all the ecumenical councils. That's just a dogma. I'm not going to go into it now, but they're not. And the Coptic's the same. They only recognise the first, second and third ecumenical councils. They don't recognise the fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh. Okay. So they're not orthodox in the, in the way that the rest of the churches are. Russia, Bulgaria, Serbia, Greece, etc. Constantinople, one. The Armenians, as I said a few centuries ago, they locked out the Greeks, and the Greeks were out the front there. And if you've been, if you if you've been there, there's big doors. I mean, those doors are really big. It could be as wide as between those two fans down, and they've got two columns on each side, really big columns. And the Greeks were there, and the patriarch was there, and they were crying and praying because it was a uh, dev- you know it was devastating. They couldn't go in to get the holy light as they do every year. Suddenly. To this day, that still remains. The column that was on the side there, the left-hand column, as you look in the the, the doors, cracked, split open, and the holy light came out of the column and lit the Greek Orthodox patriots' uh, candles. So the holy light was still given to the Orthodox, not to the Armenians. The question is here, because one question was asked, do they convert? Well, there are many Armenians present at that service. There are many Coptics present at that service. There are many Jews mentioned there. There are also some Muslims that participate because there's some tradition where they dress up in certain gear there. Anyway, it's not important. And there's also Jews there present. But, you know, out of a lot of them, they don't convert. Some, perhaps I've heard that there are secret, uh, it's very hard to convert in certain countries where they're a bit fanatical. There are some Jews that have converted and have become orthodox, but secretly. And they go to services secretly at night so the others others don't see them. But in general, people, by seeing miracles, it's it's not enough at times. Some people, that doesn't mean anything. So what I'm trying to say here is that why these people don't convert, why this and why that, well, if such a great miracle occurs and they don't don't see the truth, what can we do? What what does all the prophetians say to do? Pray for them, leave them. You can't go up to them and, and get them on the ground, shaking their heads on the cement there and say to them, you just saw the holy light come out for the Orthodox, you have to convert. And that's what a lot of us do, even here. We try to convert people and try to force people, whether it's our husbands, our wives, our children or relatives or whatever. You don't do that. Conversion is free. The person wants to, not because you've forced the person to. And just one other thing before the break. 
During the Fourth Ecumenical Council, there was a dispute. Some of you won't understand it, but I'll still say it quickly. There was a dispute between two groups. What's called now the Coptics, where they believe that Christ only had one nature, that he was only God. And the Orthodox, which said, no, Christ is both God and man. And they were disputing. The bishops were disputing during the synod. They decided, because they had the relics of St. Ephemia, the great martyr there, they said, why don't we write the dogmas of the Orthodox and the dogmas of the Monophysites down and we'll put it into the coffin of St. Ephemia. And they put the two uh, lots of dogmas there. And they prayed and they locked it up. The Orthodox had one key and the others had the other key. They couldn't open it just in case one of them go back. No, they needed two keys. So they, they prayed, I don't know how many days, and they opened up the coffin. And what did they find? They found that the dogmas written by the Orthodox of Christ as two natures was being held in the arms of St. Ephemia, and the dogma of the Monophysites were at her feet where she was stepping on them. And that was a miracle that occurred. Now, something important, and I'm going to become a little bit worked up, so... Don't become scandalised. Today, we have Orthodox priests, theologians, who say that the Coptics, for example, all those monophysites, are the same as us. Because the Coptics came from Egypt, they were still part of the church at that time, they didn't speak Greek. And there was a bit of a miscommunication between the two churches between the Constantinople which, and other churches which mostly spoke Greek, and down there at the church in um, Alexandria where they spoke um, their, their own language, the Coptic language. And it was a mistake. So the miracle of St. Ephemia must have been imagined and the Holy Spirit didn't have the ability even if it had to send an angel or, or, or a saint to appear to the fathers of the fourth and say to them, listen, no, don't cut them off. Don't cut the, them, the, that church off. It's, they really believe the same as you. It's just that they're, they're because of the language problems that they, um, there's a mix-up. That didn't happen. On the first Sunday of Lent, when the... Pagans had sprinkled blood that was offered to the idols on the, in the marketplace because they knew that after the first week of Lent that the Orthodox go to the markets to buy their food and they sprinkled it with blood, but the Orthodox didn't know. Their God went to the trouble and sent St. Theodore to the bishop of the area there and appeared to the bishop and said, tell the Christians not to go to the market because all the food has been defiled. It's been sprinkled with blood that's been offered to the idols. Instead, get some wheat and boil it. And the wheat which is why we boil wheat on the first week of Lent. It's koliva. And that's where the tradition, it's in memory, on I think it's a Saturday, the first Saturday of Lent, of that miracle. So God had the mind to enlighten the bishop. He sent St. Theodore... But during the Fourth Ecumenical Council, for something more important, for the dogma that Christ is both God and man, that he didn't do that and that today the, 
the modern in, the intellectuals of the church are coming along and saying, it was, I was speaking to a priest the other day, I won't say what church, and he said to me, um, blah, 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 was going on there, and I said to him, so are you saying that the Fourth Ecumenical Council, what was it, a mistake? He goes, yes, yes, it was a point of language. We all want to, the Coptics to join and all the rest of them, but not in heresy if they denounce the heresy that Christ is only has one nature, that is the divine, that is only God, if, if they renounce that and say that they believe that Christ is perfect God and perfect man, as stated in the Fourth Ecumenical Council, and they then recognise the Fifth, the Sixth and the Seventh Ecumenical Council, then they'll join. And until that happens, there will be no joining. So be very careful because that is a problem that exists today in the church. There is a very big confusion with that particular issue. And people will say, we are all the same. They are the same as us. Look at how pious they are. They can be pious. There's even pious Muslims. There's pious Catholics. In their own way, they're pious, yes. And Saint uh, Elder Porfirio says that. He actually says that he went to a Catholic church. He must have been visiting somewhere, I don't know where, where, where he went. And I, I tried to find it in the books because I couldn't find it at the end because I read them and then I couldn't go back to find them. Anyway, and he said that he went then to a monastery where there was Catholic monks. And the monks said to him, um, you know, Father, would you like us to... We don't get many visitors here, so obviously they, they were living up somewhere secluded because Catholics do have that type of monasticism. And they have, they have monks who are sincere in their struggles, in their quest to find God and things like that. And the majority of the blame belongs to their hierarchs, the main person being the Pope. Now, he said, can we sing for you, Elder, uh, uh, a trapario of the Mother of God? And the Elder said, okay, then sing. And the Elder made a note later on when he left. He said to the um, person who was with him, he goes, see how beautifully he sang? He sang so beautifully. He's so devoted to the Mother of God. Very pious, but we can't join. We love them, but we can't join until the issue of dogma has been worked out. Okay, that's important. Now, by saying that, I'm not telling you that if you see something wrong in the church or you see someone say something or your priest might say something or maybe a bishop somewhere in another country might say something, it doesn't mean that we run away from the church because they're not the church. You stay in the church, but you protect yourself. That's all. How do you protect yourself? By not listening to the intellectual priests who believe something in their brains that the Fourth Ecumenical Council was a mistake, but you go to those priests that God has given in all the churches who uh, uphold, especially in countries like Greece, Serbia, Russia, etc., where they keep it. Now, some people say, oh, they're going to join, they're going to join. Then they can't join. They won't join. They can't join. Why? Because more and more now, because of the internet, because of um, cassettes and CDs and books, etc., people more and more are becoming aware of the differences between Orthodoxy and Catholicism 
and people are becoming more and more aware that union can't take place. People are becoming more and more aware that people like St. Eustine Popovich, the Serbian saint, and St. Nikolai, and many of our other great saints spoke against the union and spoke against all that. People are aware of that now. More and more and more and more, these ecumenists which are in the church who are trying to make the union are failing and it won't work. Because those Christians who are struggling today, more than ever, are quite aware of the issues. That's it. So, um, a break. Dayan, are you thirsty? Juice, tea, coffee. And we'll come back in um, 10 minutes. Someone mentioned to me, because I haven't really relayed that example for um, years, on that thing with the holy light in Jerusalem, when it happened a few centuries ago. Uh, at the time when this was happening, there was a Muslim cleric, the Hodza, as we say, on top of them, towers there, and he was, you know, they'd go out and recite prayers and things. And at the time that the light came and cracked the column, that he actually... When he saw it, he was so moved by it that he called out and said that the orthodox faith is the truth. And then the Muslims actually went up, threw him down and hacked him to death or something like that. And he became, uh, uh, I think, a saint of our church, obviously. But I don't know that story properly, but I was told, I was reminded of that, but I can't remember it fully. A relative, it says here... This relative of mine, so this is a person that's writing this, had become so close to the elder that they would talk for hours together in the forest. The elder in the monastery that he was uh, that he was living, there was a forest there, and he used to love going for walks, for exercise. And there he would um, absorb nature, and he talked to um, people. And this he, this relative wanted to build um, like a, a farm in his in his village, and he had gone to the elder to ask him where the water was because those of those of you who were born in villages you know that very important is the water and those of us those who live out here in Australia and the outback to find water sources the elder has become known for this particular gift that he had that he actually would advise people where the where water was the exact spot he also advised them how far down to drill, and he also told them exactly how the water tasted. And this was through the, um, the gift that he had. So a lot of people, and I even know one abbot that I went to a monastery, that he went to the elder, an abbot in, in, in Greece somewhere, that he went to the elder to ask where is their water near their monastery because a lot of places, if they don't have a water source from the ground, they depend on rainwater. But that can run out. So uh, this elder did become quite famous, in a sense, for his gift of finding water. This next thing, which I like, is uh, something which sounds strange, and it's good for me to read it. The elder sometimes guided spiritual children in a painful manner when he considered it spiritually necessary. Sometimes when elders or spiritual fathers give advice, it may not be the way we like it, and it can actually be quite painful. For example, if a person came to me 
and said to me years ago, um, I've got a friend of the opposite sex and we are uh, friends. And I would say to that person that that's going to lead to problems. And then I would say to the person, you have to really break up because the relationship is becoming too close. That advice was painful for that person. So a lot of times the priest, your spiritual father, when you go to, to get advice, can advise something which is, to you, does not sound right and it can be very painful. But you have to understand that the priest is saying something which is beneficial for your soul. He told one spiritual daughter whose husband had just died, now you must separate from your mother-in-law because the mother-in-law was living together with her, with, with there's a woman, her husband and her husband's mother and they were living together. When the husband died, the elder advised, in this case, the woman to get rid of the mother-in-law and let her go to her other children. If you live together, I see that from her bitterness, she will turn your children against you. Therefore, she will sin greatly and put your soul and your children's in spiritual danger. In the end, you'll be obliged to throw her out by quarrelling. Whereas now she can leave trouble free, you'll both be a lot less upset Help her from a distance, you know, if she needs money, help her, but especially through your prayers. We priests, the elder says, have a mission to bring people together. But when this creates spiritual harm, separation is the lesser evil. So we don't think that when a priest tells us advice that it's always going to be according to the way that we think. And I've given advice like that sometimes, it's a particular situation. And people say to me, oh, that's cruel, that's not nice, that's bad, that's this, that's that. I'll give you an example. One person said to me years ago, uh, he, he had some friction with, her, with some brother-in-law of his or something. They're having friction. And I said to him, uh, you know, keep away, don't aggravate him because he might become aggressive with you. Just keep away for a while until the person calms down. What does he go and do? He goes. He says, they've invited us for a barbecue. In my, in my mind, I said to myself, why is this person doing this? But anyway, I actually did leave it alone. I said, okay, I didn't say anything. I told him before, don't go. He wanted to go. I let, he, he, he left. While I was there at... Um, at my home at that, that stage, I noticed that uh, there was lights in my um, backyard. And I said to myself, why would there be lights in my backyard? Because no one where, where, where I was living had a car. It couldn't have been a UFO because I don't believe in them. So, but there was lights in my backyard. So I said, what is going on? So I went outside and I noticed that his wife was opening the driveway doors and they were coming in, and then I noticed that the the car, the one light was smashed, and this and that. So what was, it was like, and they were all scared, and 
etc. And I said, what happened? And what happened was they had a fight and out came the, out came the baseball bites. He got about five, six punches in the face and then in he ran over a pregnant person and, 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 and. See? Because the priest was cruel. Because the priest said, don't go to the barbecue with, with your relatives because it's going to be, I'm not clairvoyant, but it was obvious because this logic, you can see that the person was stirred up, there's going to be trouble, and this person is also a pest, and I knew that he was going to aggravate the other person. But in people's eyes, oh, the priest is cruel, he didn't let him go to eat chops. But at the end, he got some chops on the face. <laughs> and his car got chopped up too, by the way. The car had smashed glasses. The, uh, the whole thing was just like a catastrophe. Anyway, so it said there, we priests have a mission to bring people together, but when this creates spiritual harm, separation is the lesser evil. Separation is the lesser evil. I'm going to say something which is really controversial, but I'm going to say it because well, I'm going to say it in an indirect way because of the kids and all that, but sometimes priests have to advise certain members of the family to leave because they are putting their children in danger. Now, they could be putting their children in danger, as we'll see in the, in the, in the future, through emotional, by emotionally traumatising them, but also if there's a danger of a certain other type of abuse. And when that happens, it's better for the person to move out because while the person is living there, there is a 99.9% .9 chance, if it's pretty strong, that that person may abuse their children. So even there, that that sometimes has to happen and let God work out some type of solution. But you must make decisions. So it's not always cruel, as some people believe, to give advice such as that. His spiritual daughter carried out the advice in time and his words were soon borne out by the events that followed because um, I think what happened was that when she went to the other relative, um, she caused trouble there. He was once in Crete and he was at a village in a house and he started to point towards the wall with his finger and he started saying St. George, St. John's, uh, Christ, St. Anthony, the Virgin Mary, St. Nicholas. And the person was asking, why are you pointing to the wall? Why are you doing that? And the elder says, my child, I'm counting the churches in the other village. In the direction which the wall was faced, there was really another village, at least 40 kilometers of distance away. And the elder had never visited it, but he knew all the churches were there. He also knew, um, in the other example, which I won't read fully, he actually said, in this area, another place in Crete that he went to, he goes, in this area, many holy ascetics lived. And the priest that was taken around said, I don't know about that. I've never heard that. So the priest did some research and found out that the area that he said, in truth, did have uh, holy ascetics that lived in that area. He could see the past, or he knew the, the, the present. He knew that the, about the churches, etc., the taxi driver. Now, this one is, you know, you have, you have favourites. Some of you have favourite shows and all that. I have favourite um, uh, accounts here. This is, a, I love this one here. Once the elder set off for the monastery, for a monastery with three of his spiritual children to, to celebrate Vespers, 
At first they said they would go on foot. However, the, the, um, it was a very far distance and the elder was tired, so they decided to uh, find a vehicle to take them the rest of the way. At that moment, a taxi appeared at a distance coming towards them. The elder's three uh, companions told him that they would wave the taxi down and ask the driver to take him to the monastery. And the elder said, don't worry, the taxi driver will stop by himself, but when you get into the cab, no one is to speak to the driver. I'm the only one who will speak. Whatever he says, you will shut your mouth, you won't say anything at all. When the taxi, uh, that's exactly what happened, the taxi stopped by himself, which they usually do, and without waving him down, they, go, they got in and the elder told the driver their destination. When the taxi set off, the driver began to put the clergy down and to blame them for the thousand and one different things that happened. Each time that he said something, he addressed it to the three laymen. He ignored the, the elder, the priest, and he was talking to the others, the guys at the back. He goes, isn't that how it is, guys? Isn't that how it is? And the clergy and the monks and this and that and goes on and on and on. They kept their lips tight, shut, and they didn't say a word, just as the elder had told them to do. When the driver saw that, they, that the others weren't answering, then he turned to the elder and said, isn't that the way it is, Papul, you know, father, Papul is affectionate. Isn't that the way it is, father? What do you say about that? The things that they, the things they write in the papers are true, aren't they? Because, you know, like in Greece especially, anything that they can write against the church, they'll do. A lot of the papers are owned by atheists and that's their job. Some of the stuff they write is true as well. We're not going to say it's not true. But a lot of the stuff's not true. And even if it's true that some priest was found and he had uh, like a million whatever euros in his, in his safe and this and that, yeah, so what? So did Judas. Judas was stealing the money. Christ was with him. Christ is God. He knew. What did he do? He left him. Why? Waiting for him to repent. He didn't go and destroy him. So that's when people say, oh, some priests are bad. Yeah, that's, that's okay. We know that. But Judas was bad and Christ was right there. And wh why did Christ let him be in charge of the money box, the donation box? Because he, he, Christ being God knew that he was stealing the money. Why did he allow him to steal it? Because that's how God uh, wanted it waiting for him to repent and for whatever reason that developed from that. Elder Porphyrius said to him, My son, I'll tell you a little story. I'll tell you it only once. You won't need to hear it a second time. And he's the, then the elder said, There was once a man from a certain place, and he named the person, the, the, the name of the person, who had an elderly neighbour with a large property. One night he killed him and buried him. Then using false papers, he got hold of his elderly neighbor's property and sold it. And do you know what he bought with that money that he got by selling the old man's property? He bought a taxi. The moment the taxi driver heard the story, he was so shaken that he pulled over to the side of the road and shouted, don't say anything, Father, and don't say anything else. Only you and I know about it. God also knows about it, Elder Porphyrius answered. He told me so. God told me so, the elder said, so that I could tell you. So see to it that you change your way of life from now on. So the elder used his gift to shake the person up 
to bring him to repentance and to show him how much the clergy are worthless, etc. Do you like that example? I thought that's one of my, my better ones there. It's, um, it is true that the elders are enlightened, but I've also experienced that even priests, just priests who are struggling, priests who have interest in their spiritual children, that God can enlighten them, maybe not to the degree of that. Remember, that, that type of, um, those type of miracles that the elder does of knowing what's happening and things like that, they're, they're used for a purpose. But a lot of times, even a priest can be enlightened by God. How many times priests have said that when they're in confession and the person's saying their sins and the priest is kind of preparing in his mind what he's going to say, then suddenly out of his mouth comes all different things, things that he didn't even prepare for. So God can enlighten um, all. Obviously, these elders have, have, have the gift to a wonderful degree, but spiritual fathers can be enlightened and many times. People have come to me that I've confessed from years ago, and this experience is from a lot of priests. They've all said the same. And a priest said to me, oh, sorry, and this plumber comes to me and goes, oh, I, I came to you years ago, yes, and you told me that my main problem is this, this, and this. I said, okay, I don't remember. And he goes, and um, at the time I didn't believe what you said, and now it's true, that's what it is. I go, I don't remember, I don't even know why I would have said that. And the truth of the matter is that God a lot of times enlightens according to the faith of the person approaching. If we approach with faith, God can enlighten the priest. If you approach with pride, then God can, can even make the priest say mistakes, believe it or not. A young man told him, told the elder, that he was thinking about going to a monastery. The elder saw, with his, with his enlightenment, that the monastic life was not for that person. And he advised him to, to struggle in the world as a Christian. He then said that he was scared of failure. The young man said, I'm scared of failure. The elder replied, it's better to fail as a layperson than to fail as a monk. Elder Pifanios, another elder, I read once in his book where a young man went to him because in Greece it's compulsory to go to the army, but if you become a monk or a priest, you don't go if you become before the time comes. So this young man went to Elder Epiphanius and said to him, Elder, work it out somehow. I don't want to go to the army um, because I want to become a priest in the future, and if I go to the army, I'll fall because of the, the way that they're there, you know, the things that they do and all that, and I'll, and I'm, and I'll fall. And then I, won't be able to come a, then I won't be able to become a priest. And Elder Bifanya said to him, better to fall as a layperson to fall as a priest. In other words, if you can't hold yourself as a layperson, you're not going to hold yourself as a priest when you've got a thousand demons on you fighting you. Like each layperson has a couple of demons, a priest, monk, has thousands of them on him fighting a young man who was a carrier of AIDS visited the elder. He was in despair and asked the elder if he could find refuge in a monastery and become a monk. The elder comforted him and advised him to cultivate his faith in Christ, so, you know, who is the only hope and refuge in every situation. Regarding the monastery, he said, that, that one should not enter in from need and despair, but from hope in Christ and love for him. This person wanted to go to the monastery because he was sick, 
was hopeless and he wanted to go to the market. People say that to me. People, I, one guy came up to me and said, I'm having so much trouble with my wife and it's just so difficult. I go, yeah. He goes, can I come to your monastery? Can you give me a little room there and I can live there? And he said, I go, if you're having trouble with your wife, if you come to the monastery, you'll have a million times more trouble. million times more. And I do mean that. A couple visited the elder and was very upset. They asked him to pray that their sick newborn infant in hospital would get well. So a couple just had a baby and um, it was sick. The elder prayed, however, as they were leaving, he called them back and asked them what name they were planning on giving the child. They mentioned the name and the elder told them to go to the hospital. When they got there, the child had died. The parents were crushed. After some time, they went back to the elder to tell him their pain and to complain. He gave them hope that he gave them hope even though they, he gave them hope even though their child was dying. The elder answered, "I knew your child was going to die, but it wasn't right for me to tell you at that time. Do you know why?" The elder said, "I called you back and asked about the the name of your child." Because as soon as you left, I baptised the infant in the air and gave him the name you told me. When I read this, it confirmed what I always thought. But you know what you think you shouldn't say because a lot of times it could be wrong. But what this showed to me is that when people die, when there's accidents... We don't know what they were thinking beforehand. We don't know if God allowed the demons to do something to, dis to knock the person down. We, you know, we don't know exactly the circumstances surrounding the spiritual state of the person. You know, we've read things like um, someone wanted to be baptised and, and he couldn't be baptised before, you know, and then uh, it said that it rained and then from that rain that he was baptised. There's all these exceptions, all these peculiar things that happen in the church. We don't know them. We don't know the when little children die, what happens, they weren't baptised, you know, did a saint appear? Look, I mean, he was, he, this, the elder was still in the body, but we have many saints that are, that are being, um, that are in, and they're in heaven. We don't know what happens. And this to me shows that. We shouldn't judge and go, oh, that, that happened and that happened and that happened. We don't know what's happening. We don't even know when a person's committing suicide, if he's repenting just before, when he changes his mind, but it's too late. We don't know anything. So I thought, I thought that was very moving, that, that he actually said, I baptised your child in the air. Exceptions. Of course, we always try to baptise our children as quickly as possible. Russians... They baptise their children at eight days old. Uh, others say 40 days. I think Greeks like 40 days. And some people leave their children to baptise at one year old, one and a half. I don't know why. Maybe to make it bigger so it won't be fit in the font and cause all problems when the child is trying to go into the font and screaming the whole church down and causing trouble. There must be something. I'm going to let my child grow as big as possible so the priest can have trouble and, and I'm going to enjoy it or something. I don't know what their, what their purpose is, but you say... How old is your child? Uh, 18 months size of baptised? No, not yet. Well, what are you waiting for? So we've got to take it down to the beach and baptise it in the pool because there's no room in the font because it's so big. 
He is. I don't understand. Serbians, do they? Okay. Hmm. People that I've been involved with that were pregnant, um, I'm, I have a lot of anxiety a lot of times. I just want, uh, when the child's baptised, I feel better. I'm, I'm more at peace because then I am sure that if something happens to that child, it's baptised, it goes with God. Now, what happens to the unbaptised children? Does it mean they're not going to go with God? I don't know. I know that that is the way that God ordains. As for the exceptions, not my business, yes? In emergencies, when a child is about to die, there are ways that it can be baptised. If there's water, obviously you use water. Sometimes the child's too sick or there's no water. So you can also sprinkle water um, to baptise the child in an emergency. If there's no water to sprinkle, you can also baptise the child in the air. In the, the, the servant of God, Yuani, whatever, is baptised in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If the child lives, the priest comes and completes the baptism, completes the service, gives chrismation, things like that. Someone who had made a rush and completely emotional choice for a wife, which sounds like today, he had grave marital and more generally family problems that he discussed with the elder. Now, today, most people marry out of emotion. Some are more progressed. They marry just out of money. Um, but in general, people don't marry by asking God who he has for them. And as a result of that, we have all these disasters today of marriages. On one occasion, he said to this person, anyway, you've made the great mistake. That's it. You've made the mistake. That can't be undone now. Now we'll see how we can confront the consequences of the mistake with the greatest success. The elder was a realist. He did not idolise the visitor's mistaken choice, but he also did not let him become disappointed when he became consciously aware that he had made that mistake that can't be reversed. He led him into an, into an effort for the best conf, um, confrontation of the disagreeable effects of the mistake, and this effort was a success. In other words, we all of us make mistakes and we carry those mistakes. I've made mistakes, so a lot of you made mistakes. Some of you made mistakes with your children, into paying the consequences, made mistakes in marriages. I've made wrong decisions, and we pay for it. But the point is, we've made the mistake, we humble ourselves, ask God to help us to confront and, and whatever, that something good can come out of the mistake, instead of running away and divorcing because we're going to meet someone else who's going to be a better person, things like that, and break up our marriage. Because today, all over the television, of the radio, the most important thing that we hear, the mantra is, you have to be happy. You have to be happy, you have to be happy. Everyone's got to be happy. But the true happiness comes when we are struggling for our salvation and when we follow what God wants us to follow. That's where happiness comes, because that happiness comes from within. And not the happiness that we leave our wife or husband and then we marry someone else who supposedly is nice to us and then we have a nice house, and we have some more children, and then whatever, 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 and say that's the um, that's happiness. But happiness comes from within, not externally, not through degrees, not through money, not through all these things.
I was going to the old in a friend's car. My friend had also brought his fiancée with him. So there was a fellow in the car with his friend and, her, and, his fian- and that friend's fiancée. On the way there, I told her, because that woman had never been to the elder, and he started to, to, this guy started to tell this woman all about the Christian life, because this woman was unfamiliar. She was Orthodox, but obviously didn't, didn't, wasn't a practicing Orthodox Christian, because a lot of things had troubled her about the church. I did it to help her so that she would have better access to the elder's way of thinking. So he took it on himself to prepare this woman so that when she goes to the elder, that she'll be better prepared, considering that this would be the first time that she would see him. When we arrived, I went into his cell first. Amongst other things, I also told the elder, in a prideful kind of way, about what he did with the girl on the way with the woman on the way to there and how he was teaching her about the faith and about the elder. The elder became indignant, in other words, became angry, righteous anger, and said, oh, you don't do such things. Now his fiancée has been terrorised and he's saying to him, let's go, I'm afraid of seeing the elder in case he makes me stick to all those things that your friend was telling me about on the way here. My friend's fiancé went in after me. My friend, she managed to stay even though she wanted to leave, but she managed to get in even though she was terrorised. My friend told everything that she had said while I was in there. So his friend said, you know what my fiancé said to me while you were with the old inside? She said that all the things you told her terrorised her and she didn't want to go and see the elder because she was scared. They were the exact same words that the elder had said. When she came out of of the cell, she was shining with joy the elder had not made mistakes like I had with my over-enthusiastic zeal. We all have zeal to help people. Unfortunately, our zeal a lot of times is dictated by our passions, by our ego and by our stupidity. And we make mistakes when we try a lot of times to help people. But the elder has the discernment and knew how to help the person, what to say, what not to say, etc. We have to be careful because a lot of times when we speak to our relatives or to our wife or to the children or whatever, we make mistakes. I hear people say, I spoke to my child about um, about um, the Bible or about the church or about this, and they just yap, 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 and the person at the end uh, becomes terrorised, the child. Or the person. Even me as a priest, when people, when I meet people, I, I'm not going to speak to them about the faith unless they show some interest in there and they want to know, why should I start being there? Because all they're going to say is, uh, uh, he's Bible basher. Then they expect you that you're going to do that. Because everyone that's religious tries to convert everyone. So, for example, at the monastery where I'm at, if we have workers that come, whether they're Orthodox, whether that could be just Anglos, that could be Muslims, that could be Catholics, that could be anything, and they come, I will not speak at all about religion. I'll speak about whatever else they speak about. A lot of times I might start conversation and speak about anything and everything, but not about religion. If they ask me, like once a Catholic fellow came, uh, I think I've told you this before, and he started saying, can I ask you something? Well, you know, he started asking me all these things. And it was really hot. And um, I got sunburned because 
he just kept on asking questions and questions and questions and questions and questions, and I couldn't move because I couldn't say to him, I'm getting burnt and I, I can't answer any more questions. So I suffered, and at the end, I looked like a beetroot. But he was interested, so I answered his questions. But you don't go as someone comes in and you say to them, you know what, orthodoxy is the truth. Orthodoxy, listen, I've come to fix your fridge. I'm not interested in orthodoxy, all right? Just don't, don't, you know, don't bubble bash, don't tell me, don't do this. And that's what a lot of times we try to do or try to give leaflets or try to do this. We have to be very careful because we make things worse. A Lebanese fellow came once. He was doing some waterproofing for me. And uh, I thought he was Muslim. And because his brother was Muslim, so I said, oh, he's Muslim too. So uh, as we were talking, somehow he said that he's Catholic. And I said, but aren't you Muslim? Because yes, I was born Muslim, but I changed to Catholicism and I made my wife, who was Muslim, become Catholic and I baptized my children Catholic. And I said, well, why, do you, why did you do that for? He says, I was moved. He goes, I was, mo was, I was moved with what Christ did for us. And I, and I said to myself, I have not seen such faith even from the Orthodox if you get what I'm saying. I was so uh, surprised with what he said, that he converted, not obviously to Orthodox, but he converted to, his, to Christianity, let's just say, in the Catholic Church, because he was moved by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And uh, all his relatives are still Muslim. So when he came last, time because he had to come for one thing. I said to him, um, by the way, I said, um, I, I, we, we published this book. That's what I felt. I just thought, I might try. I don't usually like doing that with people that I go, um, he goes, oh, thank you. He was really interested. He goes, oh, oh, good. Thank you very much for that. And he took it. So we've got to be very careful. A female acquaintance of mine whose child was seriously ill asked me to drive her to see the elder. This person is saying that he had a friend who was a woman who had a child that was sick. And the woman said, can you drive me, because I haven't got a car, to go and see the elder I wanna, because, because my child's sick. Several months of silence on the part of the lady then passed. So the lady didn't end up ringing this guy to say to him, come and pick me up to take me to the elder. I asked the elder if I was obliged for the child's sake to telephone her in regards to this. He said to the elder, should I ring her? and encourage her to come. And the elder objected strongly, do not phone her at all. It isn't right. The right thing is for her to want to come. But don't worry, she'll call you very soon. She called three days later. She was taken aback when I told her that I was expecting her phone call around then. When I told her about my conversation with the elder, in other words, that he knew you were going to ring, she was amazed. He vi we visited, and from that day on, the lady became one of his regular visitors. Years ago, I went overseas, and I left, and I, and I left the people that were confessing to me, and I said, I'm going to go for a few months and take care of yourselves. When I come back, I hear a whole story of how one of them had met this Jehovah Witness girl and that he got the others 
his friends, who also were confessing to me, to go and get this Jehovah Witness girl to take her to the monastery at Kentland, to the convent up there, that she can see the nuns, so that she can see it and leave the Jehovah Witnesses and things like that. So they would go to her house and try and pick her up. I'm surprised. I said to them, did you have breakfast for her in the car as well? <laughs> what, else did, what, what else did you do? You should have rolled out the carpet, the red carpet from her front door to the car so that she can come in. And all these problems occurred because they were there like jackals and trying to get her to come. And I got very upset. Why? Because, number one, we don't force people, even if it's supposedly for good. And secondly, Jehovah Witnesses have one thing in mind, to convert you. By the way, a lot of orthodoxy, a lot of orthodox people have one thing in mind to convert as well. So their spirit is similar to the Jehovah Witnesses. There are orthodox Christians today, as soon as they see someone, they go like that, bang, that's it, he's my victim today, I'm going to convert him. And they try and convert just like the Jehovah Witnesses try and convert. And I, and I got very upset with that. I said, one, you were doing that with no guidance. Secondly, she could have tricked you and used your supposed love and care to, con to confuse you with, the, with that. Because these people are trained. They know the Bible better than a lot of Orthodox Christians. And they say, uh, you know, their favourite. See, the Father is greater than me. Christ says the Father is greater than I. That means that Christ is lower. And all these things, blasphemy. They really know exactly how to make a person confused. And so therefore I said to them, you will not commune for three months or more because of what you did. And all the others that followed you will not commune as well. Now some people say, that's cruel, that's this, that's that. doesn't bother me. That's love. Because, because one, it's dangerous. And two, you don't do that with people. I was speaking to someone on the phone the other day who said that he went to the Coptic church, he was Orthodox, but he went to the Coptic church. And he said that the Coptic church, that he kind of was going there often and going to their meetings. And I said, why? He goes, because, I said to him, I'll tell you why. Because they rolled out the red carpet for you. And he said, yes. Yes, they rolled out the red carpet, meaning that they gave him attention. The Protestants do the same. Even Catholics do the same. They say, oh, how are you? Welcome, this, this, that. And what that does is it makes the person want to change to their religion only because they're having their emotional uh, emptiness filled that someone's showing them love or someone cares for them. And I said to this fellow, a nice fellow, and I said to him, um, orthodoxy is a treasure. And to find orthodoxy, it's hard. And that's why a lot of times, wherever you go, you get smashed in the face. And that happened to me. When I first came to orthodoxy, I just was having a lot of problems with priests. They never had time or I couldn't understand what they were talking about because I was speaking in their language. And all these temptations. And I said to him, but that was showing God allowed that to happen to see how much I wanted orthodoxy. I said, I went to Manathos. I just arrived. And the bus was there to take us up to Karies, which is the, the where, where you get registered to be allowed to 
to be there. Anyway, so I went in there and I just fit in the bus. Just made it. And I was all happy because I didn't have to stay down there and wait for the bus to come back so I can go to Manathos and go to Karies where they've got the Aksunistin icon, which is mentioned in the book there, the mother where Archangel Gabriel appeared with the monk and they sang Aksunistin, it is truly me. And I wanted to, I couldn't wait to go up there. So, all of a sudden, the doors closed and smashed me in the head, right? It was really hard and I couldn't get over that I got smashed in there. Then I had to go to the police station because I had to get my passport. And then the policeman turned around, looked around, looked, make sure there's no one around, because I was young, I was only around 25 or some 24. He goes, what are you doing here? Get out of here. This is not for you. They're crazy, the monks here. Get out, go, leave. That was another temptation. And then I went to a monastery and there was a, a monk there who, when I went close to him, I couldn't breathe. Now, you might say, why? And his hands were full of tar because he was a chain smoker. And he was a, he was a monk there and he was just smoking, 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 smoking. And he made me very uncomfortable. And to me, it was like that. So anyway, what happened was I was sitting in the church at Mount Athos, sitting during the service and being amazed by what I saw. I've never seen anything like it. All of a sudden, this, this chain-smoking monk came in and said to me, well, they, sorry, he didn't say it, he barked, and he said, woof, 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 woof. In other words, get out of my chair, right? That's my chair. He actually terrorised me, and I said, is this man out? I should just leave because there's no love, there's no this, there's no that. But God allows that to happen. God allows that to happen to prove whether we really want the treasure because orthodoxy is a treasure, and you don't find treasures easy. There was an account of Catholic monks who wanted to become orthodox and they went to various orthodox bishops, I won't mention names, not important, they went to various bishops and they said, we want to become orthodox. We've studied everything. We know that orthodox is the truth. We want to become monks. I think they're in France, these, these people. And we want the monastery. We want to convert to orthodoxy. They went to one bishop. The bishop said, no, we're all the same. Went to another one. No, not necessary. We're all the same. Went to another one. No, if we convert you, then the Pope's going to get upset. And went to another one, another one, etc. And they wanted to become orthodox and they were told, no, there's temptation. So red carpets, we don't have to be rude to people, but we don't have to uh, overdo it and let people do their work. If someone wants to buy a book, let them buy it. If someone wants to come to church, let them buy it. When people ring me up, they ring up at the time, oh, you've got to talk, yes. Um, and, I, and they say, oh, yeah, we're going to be at the talk. They didn't come. I've, I've had about three or four calls of people that said they're going to come and they're not even here now. That's okay. What I should have said to them, where do you live? I'll send the silver service taxi. They think that it's a George area here. And um, I'll even get a bus and we'll go all around the city to pick everyone up like the Baptists do so they can come to our talks like the Baptists go around and pick everyone up from their houses so they can come. So why, why do that? Make an effort. Move your legs. Like they make an effort to go to, this, to, to sin, make an effort to go to, to come to church. 
If someone says, could you please give me a lift because I can't get it, at least they're making an effort. About the monk, because some of you might get scandalised and go, why am I talking about that? And this is a very beautiful story which I read, or maybe heard on a talk, to understand about the person I said was barking and the chain smoker. Let me explain something to you. I said it in that way to show how it was perceived to me. I just came in the church and I was scandalised, number one, that he was smoking. Now I don't get scandalised. And I was also scandalised that he chucked me off the chair and he told me the basically thing and he was barking. He was like, that was, I said that on purpose to get that reaction from me to see how, I, how it was to me. But let me say something. Once, some, I can't remember fully the story. I think I remember now, a monk told me this story, a very nice story. He said, a woman appeared to a monk on Manathos, obviously, the mother of God, and said to this monk, go and get my pigs out of the ditch, because my pigs have fallen into the ditch. And... This monk was surprised. What's this? Pigs, I think, because uh, in the olden days they 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 never allowed animals on Manathos, um, except for some. You know, they was forbidden to have basically any animals on Manathos, and um, they were very strict. And he, this monk was wondering, what's the pigs? What's the ditch? What's what's happening? So he tr went through the forest to look and look and look, and he noticed he saw a ditch a deep ditch, and in the ditch was a couple of monks who had fallen in and they were drunk. They couldn't get out because they were drunk. And the monk said, yeah, I can see, yes, truly they are pigs. And then the mother of God, he heard the mother of God say, yes, but they're my pigs. What does that mean? Yes, but they're my pigs. Meaning, and I'm going to say this, we're all pigs. All of us really have passions. They had the drunkenness. And if we all, uh, if we all um, study ourselves, we'll see that all of us have passions which torment us continually. Whether it's swearing, whether it's pride, whether it's laziness, whether it's selfishness, whether it's jealousy, envy, hate, uh, revenge, etc. And we just keep on falling. And the mother of God was saying this. Yes, they are falling just like the guy that was smoking all the time. Yes, but they're still staying here. They could leave, but they still stay here. They stay here because they have trust, the monks have trust, the promise that was made by the Mother of God. Whoever comes to this holy mountain, I will help them and I will save them on the last day. So the significance was that, yes, we're drowning in our sins, but still the mother of God, the saints, God himself, is still taking care of us because, as I said other times, God looks at how much we want to stop. We could be judging the monks or even the monk that, that barked at me that, that these people are horrible. I believe that person had some problem, obviously, but he still stayed in Manathos. And I don't know later on because I wasn't very mature at that time to understand how much that person really is struggling to stop that problem that he had. Or how much those monks that had fallen to the drinking problem had fought. 
had that. And we know from the Desert Fathers that we had examples of Desert Fathers that fell into serious sins, even sexual sins, they fell, and yet from their fall, they actually became holier because they were so humbled because secretly, you know, you can start feeling that you're going well, that you're going good, and it's so subtle. And so God allows a temptation to occur, the person falls and wakes up to themselves and sees that they're not really what they thought and can actually obtain true humility. Because we can act what's called in Greek tapinologia, which means humility with speech. I'm a worm, I'm the worst, I'm this, I'm that. We can all do that. A lot of Christians do that. I'm nothing. I had a cousin that used to say that. And I call it the squiliki syndrome for those of you who are in Greek. The squiliki syndrome is what's called the worm syndrome. That is that she would say continually that she's a squiliki, that she's a worm. And um, every time you see her, we have to find out that she was a worm. Okay, yes, okay, yes, we know you're a worm. Yes, all right, worm, worm, worm. So then um, someone said to her once something, and this is no exaggeration. You've seen those um, things that you get from those amusement parks where there's teeth and they shake, and they, like, they, they go like that. Someone said to her something and she went like that. Like, she, I can't even do it, but she went up pretty quick. It was like the speed of light. And it was like that quick and she, was, she started to grind her teeth and stamp her feet and go, no one's going to tell me anything. And I said to myself, what happened to the squiliki? What happened to the worm that you were saying? And that's it. We can all say that we're humble, but deep down we're not. We can say we're pigs, but the real experience of feeling that you are comes through spiritual struggle, through failure, and through sins, and through repentance, and through seeing that we're weak. That's the true struggle. People don't understand that. People just don't understand. They come to the church and when they start falling into sins, when you first come in the church, a lot of times God gives us grace. Everything's easy. Confession's easy. Communion's easy. Going to church. Prayer's easy. Reading books. People read a lot. People go to church a lot. They're just in another world. And then suddenly when that goes, because God can't leave you with that too long because it becomes demonic whereby you believe that you're better than others, God takes away the grace to some degree to let you start to struggle so you can learn true spiritual life. That's not true spiritual life. And then we begin to fall. We begin to um, do things that we didn't do during that time when we were supposedly holy when we first started to change. And what I've noticed is this is very crucial. At this point is where you come to the road. You're either going to lose yourself or you're going to keep on going. If you're proud... You, and you say, I can't believe I've fallen, I can't go and confess it, I've always thought that I was good, and you go that way and you lose yourself and people don't commune for years and people don't go to confession anymore or go to church sometimes, don't keep fast, etc. Or you go over here and you say, well, that's what God came into the world to save sinners. Well, I am, I'm sinful, I'm fallen, and through that struggle is where you learn spiritual life. But few go that way, a lot go that way. Because of our pride. When we're too upset about falling to sin, 
A lot of times it's because we're proud that we can't believe that we're fallen, because we have such a high opinion about ourselves. Are any questions on that part? Yes. I've got a better story than that. I was in another monastery. I was in another monastery. Again, I think it was basically the beginning of my spiritual life, and I think God allowed it. To, to, again, it was a temptation. Obviously, it was demonic, but it was up to me how I'm going to take the how I'm going to take the temptation. There was a monk there who had lost himself because they go through. Sometimes we all do, uh, where we fall into pride, and this person had lost himself. He actually. We used to walk around with his head up high. He had, he had lost himself anyway. And he had it out for me. I was a lay person at the time. He just was, um, didn't like me, even though I didn't speak to him. And uh, I never did, didn't even know who the, who the man was. He was the cook. I was happy he was there because I could eat, but that's about it. But I didn't know, I didn't know who, who he was. And they were doing a memorial prayer in a chapel outside the monastery for the dead, and then um, I was outside because there was no room. And then uh, people had to go to venerate. So I waited for the monks to venerate because they go first. And so I can come. All of a sudden he comes out and he says to me, you, you venerate now. And because in those days I was prouder than what I am now, I said to him, no, I'll go when I'm ready. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go now. And he goes, you will go now. You will go now. So he had lost it. He would lost it. And I got scared because I thought it was going to hit me. So I went to the um, abbot, as you said. And I said to the abbot, I go, what's going to happen? Excuse me, but I'm here trying to find salvation and I might meet with death soon because this person <laughs> looks very dangerous. I said, what are you going to do? And he goes, I can't do nothing. He's beyond. He's beyond at this time. So what happens is then is that the monks pray for him and tried to help him to come out of the problem. And what I did, packed my bags and went to another monastery because I knew that if I stayed there, I might have like a handful of noodles and things hitting me in the face, right? And I, was, and I actually did get scared. He actually lost it completely. But the thing is that that's what God allows sometimes for people to do. And all of us, it's a good experience. We all fall into deception. And sometimes we lose ourselves completely and never cut off from your friends, never cut off from your spiritual father during that time, never cut off from the church because it's those around you who pray for you to help you come out of it. And that monk, by staying in the monastery where he was, had the chance that he would come out of it from the prayers of his spiritual father and the monks. But for me, it comes now. I could take it two ways. I could say monasticism is bad, and orthodoxy is bad, and there's you know all these things. But I didn't. I, I, with God's help, I began to understand that these things. And later on, I began to experience my own problems. Now, obviously, there's problems. There's there's problems everywhere. Christ had a problem too. One of his disciples, he called a devil. Now, we don't know out of these people who's this, who's that. But there are people. There are people that go to Mount Alphos to exploit. There's dangers. There's, there's, there's everywhere you go. 
but it doesn't mean that when we see a scandal that we run away from the church. One Sunday morning, the elder went down to a village church together with an elderly peasant that he knew. On the way, they met a group of six or seven youths going to, in the opposite direction to the church. The peasant asked the youths, where are you going, guys or kids, whatever? They answered, to the cafe. Then the peasant, who was very strict, orthodox person, became indignant, angry, and said, you should be ashamed of yourselves. It's Sunday, and instead of going to the church, you're on the way to the cafe. What kind of Christians are you? And then, the, the elder saying, he then let loose a fanatical open-air sermon on them. Get it? A fanatical open-air sermon. Started to preach. The devils are bad, what to do and is wrong and this and that and you should be going to the church and you should be ashamed of yourselves and all that. The elder was silent, didn't say anything. The peasant, full of rage and self-satisfaction, said to the elder, even though it sounds good, oh, but he's telling the kids to go to church, isn't that good? Mother said to me, but I'm telling my children to do something that's good. Yeah, but not when you're screaming and shouting and, and putting pressure and all these things. It's not it's not good. Anyway, I sorted those bad lads out very well, the old fellow said. And the elder said, you didn't do well. The peasant, who expected congratulations from the elder, was embittered by the elder's answer. They arrived at the church. The elder went into the sanctuary and the peasant took his place in the main church. Now, not half, I don't know why they use that word peasant, but the villager. Not half an hour had passed when what do you know, the whole gang of youths turned up in church. The villager rubbed his hands in satisfaction. As soon as the divine liturgy had ended, he rang, he showed the youths and says to the elder, do you see how you said that I didn't do well? They thought about my words and they came to church. The elder smiled and explained that they came to church because he had prayed for them in silence not because they had been influenced by the villagers' behaviour. The older believed in prayer for, all, for a lot of things. And he advises parents, as we'll see, continually advises parents about that, Con um, that prayer is very important. Parents that speak about their children, they don't speak about prayer. It's always, and I said this, and I said that, and I told them this, and they don't do this, and I said this, and they're doing this, and they're wearing this, and they're, they're going here, they're going there. It's like a lot of words, which is, you know, but no prayer. Once the elder was walking in the forest where he met a bishop. When the bishop learnt that he was a monk, he complained that monks leave the social aspect of Christian life to them, take flight to the to mountains, looking only to save their own soul. Now, it wasn't a taxi driver, it was actually a bishop who was speaking against the monks, saying that they should be helping. There are bishops who are monastic and believe that monks have a purpose in their monasteries by praying for the world, helping people. But there are other bishops who say no, that Orthodox bishops, that monks and nuns should be helping like the Catholics do in, church, in, in hospitals and schools and doing all these other little other social type of things, helping the sick and all that. And um, the elder listened to him with a bowed head and when he stopped he said, 
master, which in Greek, despota, or in Slavonic, vladika. When you speak, the elder said to the bishop, when you speak, the words leave your mouth and go to the ears of men. So when the bishop is saying, when you speak in church to people or whatever, your words go from your mouth to the people. It's good. When monks speak, their words go to God's ears first, and then they reach men's ears. The elders' words recall another Athenite monk's phrase, probably Elder Paisios, who says, the question is not for monks to be close to people in the world, but close to God. Because the closer the monks or the nuns get to God, the closer, in reality, the monastic is to people. In other words, monastics who pray, who belong to a monastery, get their prayers heard more because of their way of life than even sometimes some bishops. And as we'll go on, Remember that Elder Porphyrus was a monk. As we go on, we will see more and more and more and more how he speaks about monasticism. Orthodoxy without monasticism is dead. The measure of the health of our church is either martyrdom or monasticism in times of peace. If we have monasteries, then our church is healthy. If we don't have monasteries, then our church is in trouble because it's the prayers of the monastic which uphold the world. Let's go to... Once when visiting the old in his cell, the phone rang as usual and he told me, the person that was in, the, in, his, in his room, to pick up the receiver. It was a stranger from another town and asked to speak to the elder urgently because, as I said, people used to ring him up often. The elder picked up the receiver but left the speakerphone on so that the person in the room could hear what was happening for reasons he knows. The elder said, what then, what do you want to tell me? The stranger on the phone said, Father Porfirius, I have a huge problem with my son. He doesn't listen to me. He defies me. He's rude. He doesn't study. He keeps bad company. That's usually what parents say. Now the elder says, I see, I see. The boy's got psychological problems. He's rebellious. He makes mistakes, but, you're, but, but you yourself are a dictator. You're a real dictator. And the stranger said, who, me? And the other says, no, me. Yes, of course you. You still haven't realised it, have you? You haven't realised that the problem with your son is you. If it's like that, Father, then the whole thing is very serious. I must come and see you at once. And the other says, it's not necessary for you to come. You're already come. And the stranger said, when, when did I come there, Father? This is the first time I'm speaking to you. Well, you've come here now. In other words, the elder penetrated into the problem, understood the problem with the boy, understood the problem with the father. He understood everything because God enlightened him. Do what I tell you and your son will get better. He then gave him some valuable advice about, how, about his spiritual cultivation, about being gentle and discreet to his behaviour towards his son. During the conversation, I felt the urge to laugh at the strange and unexpected things I heard, Dr. Man in the thing. However, I suppressed it, seeing the elder's serious face, without even a hint of a smile, because he was completely taken up with the stranger's problem. 
the older completely became absorbed, if one can say, in spirit with the person's problem. He told other parents who had problems with their children, do you see what happened to you with your children? You love them, but you also put pressure on them without having the necessary holiness to keep them close to Christ. Wonderful. He says you put pressure on them, but you're not holy, you're not leading a spiritual life to bring your children to Christ. As long as they were young, you kept them, obviously, because you got some control. But when they grow up, you lose them. You should not fight against your children, but against the devil who fights your children. Because a lot of parents start to have the attitude that their children are the enemies. Because of all the mix-up and they're trying to help their children. At the end, everything gets all mixed up. And the parents can start becoming very negative towards their children and even hate their children. Not understanding, one, that it's their own fault in the first place because of the way they brought them up. And secondly, that it's the devil that they've got to fight. And how do you fight the devil? This type only comes out by prayer and fasting through spiritual life. You should say only a few words to them and pray a lot. The older said, few words to your children, more words to the mother of God, to the saints, etc. And that's what I tell parents. Stop. I can't listen to it sometimes. And they go on. And I said to my son, da, 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 da. And I said this. And I said to my daughter this. And I said, and I said, and go on and on and on. I said, just stop because I'm getting a headache as well. Just stop. Pray more to God for your children. Just recently I had a beautiful example. Excellent example. There was a... This is from overseas example. A person, some people rang up about their child. The child was very aggressive. Young child, five years old, I think. And, uh, but very, very um, just rebellious. And, and uh, they gave me a description. I said to them, the child doesn't sound like a child. He sounds like an adult. He sounds too mature. He doesn't, I don't, I don't think that sounds very good. And they didn't understand what I was talking about. It wasn't, he wasn't like a child, let's put it that way. These parents were very, very good in one thing. They didn't feed the child preservatives, they didn't feed the child rubbish, they didn't give the child, you know, they even gave, everything was good, no TV. So no TV, no, um, uh, they, don't, they hadn't gone to school yet, so you can't blame the school. You can't blame the TV. You can't blame the food. And they were asking me for prayers. So we did some prayers and there was a little improvement. Little improvement. I knew the reason why the child wasn't going to get better, but I didn't say anything, which I'll tell you later. I knew that there was a reason for that. And as they went on and struggled more and tried all different techniques and read some books, which is okay, they read some books there and tried uh, this or that. One of the reasons was that they were taking the child out too much and it was becoming uh, it stimulated too much with the senses and it couldn't calm down later on in the night because it was going out. When you take your children in cars, little children a lot, and they're looking at everything, their brains are working too quickly with everything that's passing by and that can ignite them. It's like, a, like TV in a sense and it can become so stimulated that the child can't calm down. 
And I said to them, just um, uh, take the child out less or take it to nice places nearby to a park, but not too much cars and traffic and, and supermarkets and um, shopping centres and too much going on. It's just, you know, some children can't cope with that. So they did that and the child actually improved. But that wasn't the reason why I knew the child wasn't going to improve. And meanwhile, still the child was... It was better through the prayers. It was better through the advice that I gave, but there was still the child was not like a child. It was like an adult. And it was something wrong. And um, I knew it was because they weren't praying for the child. They weren't praying for the child. They wanted prayers from me. They were trying all these physical things, which is okay, being careful how to bring up the child, the food, all their sleep, making sure that it sleeps, because the child doesn't sleep. It's going to go wild. If the child doesn't eat properly, doesn't have snacks, it's blood sugars, it goes wild. Okay? So there's all these things were all worked out. But the child was not a nice child. He was a yucky child. I used to say to myself, this child's yucky. There's something not nice about it, not like a child. So I waited for them to suffer more. Isn't that cruel? And hence the label, the cruel priest. So the cruel priest advised them and didn't, sorry, didn't say anything. Let them to suffer. Why? Because I wanted them to see that they had no power. I wanted them to bash their heads. I wanted them to suffer and see their impotence. What's impotence mean? They had no strength. And even though they were both educated, they couldn't use their intellect. They couldn't use their books. They went to a doctor once, and the doctor said, uh, very um, energetic, but that's his age and this and that. If they went to another Fruit Loop, they probably would have, he would have said to them, it needs medication. You know, just give medication. After they suffered for a while, I said to them, finally, I go, look, I'm, I've been wanting to tell you this, but I, but I was holding it until I saw that, you know, can you see you can't do nothing? They go, no, we can't do nothing. It's just he's, he's, um, he's rude, he's dismissive. Like dismiss, a little five-year-old kid being dismissive, just going as if he's royalty. And I said to him, you know what? You asked me for prayers, I did it. You did everything else, but only one thing you have to know, what? You don't pray. You don't pray for your children. You never have said to me that you and your wife have done prayers for your child. So I sent them that akathist at the back, which is the nurture of children, which is an akathist for parents with children. And they did it. After the first day, the father said, I can't believe it, he rang me. I can't believe it, well, what? He goes, he actually sat on my lap and allowed me to hug him before he wouldn't even let me hug him. And what else? I go, he's completely different. I go, what? I go, he's like a child. I go, what, with just one prayer? Now, one can say, but as a priest, and I commemorated, shouldn't that have helped more? No, because... God wants the faith of the person as well in conjunction with the prayers of the priest. 
And then they said, we're going to do this every night. And now they do the Akathist every night. And the child has become like a child. Parents don't pick these things up from young. They, they were observant. They picked it up. Well, truthfully, I picked it up because I asked questions. And then I, when I ask questions, I don't just ask one or two. I ask about 100. And I got a picture of this situation. I actually said that, that the child's not like a child. And then it began to make sense. What they, they said to me, yes, I can see that now. And with the prayers that they started doing, it made a whole difference to the child. Parents today, they don't pick that up. Why? Because a lot of parents are too busy. Too busy making money. Women are too busy working on themselves. Meaning that they, you know, it's from makeup, from their hair, from their eyes, from their diets, from their nail polish. From Sometimes I, I myself am sometimes tired of just taking care of, I've got to cut the nails, clean my teeth. Sometimes I go, I just, uh, and they say, because Nick's my uh, hygienist over there, and he actually says to me, and sometimes he's actually been close by, and I said to him, look, I've just got to clean my teeth, wait a minute. And then I come back, uh, he goes, what happened? He goes, didn't you clean? I go, yeah, I did. He goes, yeah, he did it for 30 seconds. I go, I can't, sometimes it's too much. You've got to, got to too much to actually sit there because you say, oh, you've got to really clean it. So you've got to take care of the nose. You've got to take care of that. You've got to take care of your hair. You've got to take care of this. You've got to take care of that. You've got to take your vitamins. And it's so much. But these, women's, these women have more than that. They go to everything, foundation, to their eyes, to mascara, to their... They, they, they paint their nails and they paint their toenails and, they, and then they wonder why their children grow up and they haven't noticed anything. How can they do And the men the same, too busy doing other things. And there's no time. How can you do that when taking care of children? And they work, a lot of them, too. And then they wonder why today it's been shown that women are having breakdowns more than ever. It's because they've taken on too much. They can't do it all. And some women say, well, why should I stay home and take care of the children? Why can't my husband? Well, number one, your husband, unless he's got a problem, it hasn't got breasts. So therefore, he can't feed the child milk. And the child for the first four or five years is, sorry, six to seven years, is attached to the mother. They want the mother. That's why you look at all ancient cultures. You see the child with the mother. So, you know, this is a, a problem which will come into more detail. And some of you might get offended and think I'm sexist, but, you know, that's... Um, I'm not saying uh, that women shouldn't work. What I'm saying is, I don't know how you can work and take care of a family. Once I remember there was three, three people moved in together, Orthodox Christians, they shared a house, they're living together, and they all worked. And because they all worked, they would come home at, um, in the night, no one was home, and they had to go tired, and they had to cook and wash their clothes and do this and do that and do this and do that. And it just everything was chaotic. A lot of times people that work, I know some of them have to work, but some people work to, to, um, to have a nicer car and to have more money and to have a nicer house, which is unnecessary. Some women have to work, they are rare. That's up to you to work it out. But when you come home to an empty house that no one's been there, 
and you've got to start all that, all that process, it's very tiring. And even if, the two, even if the man helps, it's very tiring. It is really difficult to do. So we create a lot of the pressures, and I want to go into more detail in the future with that. The last one, he advised the parents of a young girl who had attempted suicide to encircle her with protection of the strong prayers of as many people as possible. That is what happened, and the girl was saved from a relapse. A lot of parents hide their problems with their children. They have to go and tell everyone. They even hide it from their priest. Then I went on to know what, the, what those people, a lot of adolescents need, a lot of people, even older people, they need prayers. And especially, as I said, the monks, the nuns, the priests, and your friends, if they're spiritual people, to pray. And a prayer can help a lot. I can help a lot. The parents of a bad-mannered and rebellious child found help in the elder. They lamented about this situation and sought advice from him on the best way to confront it. The elder told them what they themselves should be careful of in their life. Every now and then, the parents mentioned the matter of their child to him, but the elder again told them about their Christian duties as parents. Every time they came to him and said, my son or my daughter does this and does this, that, he kept on saying to them, lead a spiritual life. You, parents, lead a spiritual life. And then the parents became annoyed with the elder and said, we didn't come here about ourselves. We know about what you're telling us, even when we were small children, that we've got to lead a Christian life. Um, and we teach it to others. We even tell others to lead a spiritual life. But... We came about our child. We want to know about our child, not about ourselves. Then the elder said, but can't you see that I've been talking about your child all this time? Don't you understand that your child's salvation comes through your sanctification? The more you become holy, the more your children are helped. Not the theory, but the practice of sanctification. You must be leading a Christian life. A moment later, he added, you should start that work at once if you really love your child. If you really love your child, start struggling as in, in, a, in a proper way. And then he said that he was enlightened at that moment and he said, I've just seen the soul of your child. It's dead meat. And what does that mean? That he foresaw that the child was heading for disaster, that its soul was dead. And parents don't understand that. Because all they care about is the money or making sure their children do well at school and all these things, which you can do. But we must not forget the spiritual part of life and that God listens to parents and that's why there's so much alcoholism and there's so much the gambling and there's drugs and there's so many psychiatric and psychological, all these problems that are occurring now because of our lack of struggle or absence of it with, to, towards God. The parents of a boy who had a nervous disorder visited the elder asking for help for their child's problem. The elder saw the child's soul, so he was enlightened, and said, your child's got a good soul, better than mine. He's not sick. He was wounded and rebelled against your own pride and your bad friends. In other words... The elder said to the parents, the reason why your child's sick is because 
of your pride and because you hang around with bad people. He will get well with your sanctification. The more you become holy, the more he'll get better. As soon as the mother heard this, she started to cry in despair because she believed that it was impossible for her to become holy. Then the elder said, and I'm going to leave off on this, holiness is not something impossible. In fact, it is easy. You just have to acquire humility and love. And that was the advice that he gave to the parents. And that's the advice that I give as well through the tapes and through, and through the people that are present. That uh, our problems with the children come from ourselves. And that example of that little child was, um, it was, even, um, was amazing to me. It wasn't just that they actually just started to do some prayers together and straight away the child improved and became like a child. Are there any questions that people have? I didn't even get through one fiftieth of what I wanted to do. But anyway, any questions before we end? Yes. Yes, I think that um, that your question is, can you pray for children that, you, that are not yours, like your nieces, nephews, brothers, sister, whatever? Of course. When you pray for someone with love, that prayer, in conjunction with the prayers of the church, goes straight to God. See those people, they prayed for, that, for their child. If they did it on their own, they might have got some help. We did it on our own through the services, the liturgies for the child didn't help much. If they did it on their own without the prayers of the church, then that wouldn't have helped much, a little bit. But together, same with the dead, to help our dead. How do we help the dead? When prayers are offered from a loving heart, when you love a person that's passed away and you ask the church also through the liturgies, through giving money to the poor, that person can be released from hell. That's how powerful it is. And any other questions? Yes? I have a question. Um, the Bethlehem started about children and freedom. Um, like, is it through the... I mean, when, when should you give the freedom? That's a... Really that's a very um, difficult question in that. Everyone's different. So when the elder gave advice, we, and this, this, is, this is written in the book, it's specific... For that person, and they actually say in the books, these wherever they are, that they actually say that say ten people came to the elder with the same problem, exactly the same problem, he would give ten different solutions because each person is individual, the child or the person or their husband or their wife, everyone's different. So this is where discernment comes in. You can't have a formula. I can't even when people come to me, I can't. Uh, a person comes to me and says, I'm having trouble with my husband. I can't have a book which says, you do this, this, this and this. Because each individual, the woman that comes to me is different. The way the husband is different. The circumstances are different. Their spiritual life, their level, their, um, their, their mind, how they work. There could be psychological problems. Everyone's different. Now, with the child that you're saying, prayer, uh, the whole problem is that there's no prayer. And that's why people lose their children. As for when children can become free, well, when the child gets to the stage, 
where he's not listening anymore, well, basically, it's already free because it's already it's already gone. It's already just doing what it doing what it wants. Now, some people say I'm going to force. Once I was speaking to a father, and he said that his child had become a bit wild. Son, son was around fifteen or something like that, and um, this is what he said to me. And my son did this, this, and this, and I. I hit him and I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that and did this, this and I just sat there and you know I watched, I just sat there and watched and, 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 and listened and he never once asked for prayers. So he's speaking to a, a priest and this person supposedly is in the church, preaches orthodoxy to everyone, he actually is a very strong orthodox person, in inverted commas, goes around and tells people and helps people and this and that, but he never once said to me, Father, can you please pray for my child? Didn't do it. Right? And I didn't say anything to him, and I know that he will lose that child. Some people believe that their daughter or son might be 19 and it's still a child. Maybe maturity is, it's very hard. But with prayer, there's a lot of miracles that can occur. And that's why I said to you one year ago when I was doing the talks on marriage, I said, when you get married, you have to know how to pray. Because marriage is a really big, 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 it's a very difficult thing, sorry, really hard thing. And one has to be strong to get married. Because once you get married, it's like the boat begins to rock and everything happens. And you've got to know how to trust in God. You have to know how to run to a spiritual father. You have to know how to pray. You have to know how to bow down to God. You have to know how to be humble. You have to know how to ask advice. If you haven't learnt that as a single person, there's a high chance you're not going to learn, learn it, you're not going to know it when you get married. There are some exceptions, but in general, learn it beforehand. Now, as for you already who have come into the church late, some of you, and have children that weren't brought up in the church, it's going to be much harder for you because you just some of you have just changed yourselves now. And in that case, you can't blame your children that much because you never brought them up in the church in the first place. So you've got to be understanding of that and trust more God. Repent, one, because you didn't bring up your children in a Christian way. And secondly, ask him to help you. Ask others to help you. Ask others to pray for you. And you'll see miracles. I see miracles continually. Continually. Priests tell me continually. As well, they say, oh, someone rang up a, or a, a woman came to the church and had trouble with the children. And the priest said, I took the names down. And then um, later on, the woman comes the week after and goes, my children have changed already. They've changed. They've changed. Just changed. <coughs> Prayer. Prayer together. You, as a parent, and together with the priest, with your, with your spiritual friends. And don't hide things. People hide things. They don't want anyone to know that their child's got a mental problem or their child's on drugs, or their child's on, you know, a, thing, a woman rang up once from Melbourne and her child was on heroin, heroin. And um, she was crying and saying, pray, pray, please pray for my child and pray. And, you know, basically he's, he's lost it, he's on, and, and really bad. And I said to them, and I said to the woman, you have to pray, because a woman, a mother's prayers are powerful. I said, we can do prayers, but you have to pray as well. She goes, I will, I will, my child, my child. Anyway, so she she um she left left it and the prayers were being done and obviously she must have been praying and suddenly 
She rings up after um, a month or so and she says, my son stopped the heroin. First time, years, never. He couldn't do it. It stopped the heroin. I said, well, thanks God. That comes from your prayers and comes from the liturgy. The liturgy is powerful. Even if, if the priest is not a saint, as long as the commemoration takes place, then that goes to God. And, um, and, she, and she was appreciative. And then after that, she said, oh, I want to send something to the, to the church because my son was saved from such a great thing. It's up to you. Anyway, nothing came. And, uh, and a long time came, and because we have the lists, the lists of a lot of names, we've got to take names off. So we went through, and I was, okay, well, she hadn't rang for a while, so I thought everything's better. So I noticed that boy, that young man's name, took off that name, took off a few other names, but I took that name off because we just can't. There's too many names. Elder Perfidi says, at least keep them three days. We keep them for 40. And um, I, I took it off. Fifteen days later, after I took the name off, um, the mother rings. And she says, um, my son, my son, my son, my son. I go, what's wrong? What's wrong? He goes, he's gone back on the stuff, on the heroin. I said, oh, really? When did that happen? She goes, 15 days ago. Now, I'm not exaggerating. That's, that happened. I don't like bringing up things of my own experiences, but unfortunately, I've heard that it's much more effective rather than Speaking about something, you know, and and I'm not and I'm not ashamed of the Orthodox priesthood. And priests need to actually talk about what is the Orthodox priesthood instead of acting as if they're humble and trying to say, "Oh, I better not tell anyone because I might fall into pride." Yes, that's correct. But the thing is that people want to hear because if we don't, as Orthodox priests speak, then Madame Susu is going to speak and say about that her crystal ball can help people. They speak and say, we have helped thousands with our ball. You know, and all those type of things. So Orthodox priests need to speak about what is happening and the miracles that are occurring and the help that is being given by the church. That's why we have a book called, uh, in, it was written in Greek, Miracles My Eyes Have Seen. It's at the back there. And that was written by Archimandrite Haralambos Vasilopoulos, which is a Greek archmand, right, from, yeah, in Greece. And he wrote, miracles my eyes have seen. He goes through all these miracles that his eyes have seen. Why? Because people want to hear about it. And it's all about the Orthodox priesthood, about the Orthodox church, about unction, how unction can heal. I've told you the story about unction. I've told you a lot of stories. I, that's why I speak. And if you listen to my old tapes, I didn't speak about anything of myself. But now I've changed my mind, especially after reading a lot of books lately. I've said, um, and people have told me, when you speak about your experiences, it's much more effective, so that's what I do. And that's what happened. I took the name off the list, and 15 days later, I took the name off the list, then she rang up and she said that her son started taking heroin again. And I said, how long? And she says, around 14, 15 days. That is the truth about the Orthodox liturgy and how powerful it is. Not me. The liturgy. Any priest. Give your names to any priest as long as they believe in, because some don't believe, unfortunately. Go and find believing priests and give your name and you will see miracles. Don't go to these other places. Yes. 
children that are brought up with praying parents um, uh, are helped a lot. And children that are not brought up by praying parents obviously have a lot of problems, but as, Saint, as Elder Porfirio says, with God all things are possible, even they can find their way back to the church if they've got a good disposition, but we'll talk more about that on the next talk. Those of you who are interested in um, the Elder, I, the books that I used for these talks, uh, and they're available at the back, is this one, which is an excellent book, we, uh, With Elder Porfirius, A Spiritual Child Remembers. It's a very popular book. This one's a thinner book, nice as well, of a person. The Divine Flame, Elder Porfirius, in my heart. Uh, it's about uh, a monk and his experience because he was close to the Elder. Another very good book. This one's an excellent book, Elder Porfirios, Testimonies and Experiences. They're interviews of people speaking with someone, which I'm going to read one of them to next, next month, but it's still good that, that that's a good one. And this one here is a bit more theological, but it's, uh, these are the, his life in the beginning, which is the talk that I did two months ago. And at the end, there's all writing, uh, all things that people have written down of the elders' teachings on topics a little bit deeper, but... As I say, these ones are easier, these three books. So that one's called Wounded by Love. That's the one that's a little bit harder, but excellent still. Uh, through the presence of Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, save us. Amen.